Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. And welcome into Extra Time on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you for 11 o'clock tonight on our birthday, our first birthday for SENZ. Happy birthday to everybody tuned in and thanks for all the support over our first year. And of course, uh, happy birthday as well to all the rest of the staff and the SENZ family here too. Uh, now, the Warriors named their team for Saturday night. Uh, they play, well, Saturday late afternoon. They played the Raiders, and uh, a few eyebrows were raised uh, at some of the changes that have been made. Uh, be keen to get your thoughts on this. Uh, this is what the Warriors team looks like. The Ford Pack, Adam Fanua Blake, Wade Egan and Tohu Harris's prop. Uh, Ewan Aitken and Josh Curran are the second row. Jazz Tavanga at lock. The backs... It's Sean Johnson at seven. Dejan Arcee at six, who was kind of turning into more of a centre, I thought. Uh, but then the, the wings are Dallin Watini Zelezniak and Marcelo Montoya, who was probably a man of the match last time out. Jesse Arthurs and Adam Pompey in the centres. And Chanel Harris Tavita at fullback. Reese Walsh wearing the 14 jersey uh, on a bench that includes Bunty Arfoa, Aaron Penne, and Jack Murchie. So there you go. That is the Warriors team for you. Uh, for the Raiders, can you get your thoughts on that uh, on double eight double three double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine, and you can get your thoughts through to us. Another full round of NRL just around the corner, and joining us to talk about that is Nick Tedeschi, a man who uh, knows more about rugby league uh, than you ever need to know, and he is also the author of Making the uh, at makingthenut.com. Uh, fr- his From the Couch newsletter, definitely worth a check out. G'day, Nick, how you doing? Very well, Ricardo. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thank you, mate. Good. And uh, there's something that you tweeted earlier today that I was like, really? Oh, my God. It, it certainly did more than raise an eyebrow. Uh, the Dogs, the Bulldogs, that is, are favoured by more than a try this week for the first time in five years. That is crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely astonishing, hey? It's, uh, that, that span covers the end of the Des Hassel line, the Dean Pay years, the Trent Barrett years, the interim coaching stints of uh, Steve George Arliss and Mick Potter. So uh, <laughs> think of what the world was like in uh, in, in late 20, in July 2017. A very different place to it is now. So I don't recall, I don't know if Jacinda was still running the show in, uh, in New Zealand, but Trump was running the show in America. Scott Morrison was running the show. Yeah, very different times, my friend. Very different times, very different times. What does that mean for Mick Potter, if anything? He's broken the duck. Yeah, uh, look, the the word around the Bulldogs camp, and, you know, the Bulldogs found myself, yeah, there's a good degree of happiness with what he's done, you know, like 
Trent Barrett regarded Long Regard as an attacking genius, an attacking mastermind, couldn't get the dogs out of first gear, couldn't score a point, and scored 18 plus in all bar the rain soaked game against Cronulla this year in seven games under Potter. Uh, posted 28 plus, I think, on three or three times now, and 24 plus on five occasions. So um, they're playing good football. There's a bit of uh, excitement around Canterbury. And, well, I don't think anyone sees Nick Potter as the, the, the next coach to take Canterbury to a premiership, but. Unless they nab Cameron Geraldo, I know they're making a play at him, they might be happy to stick with Potter for a year or two and, and, and then kind of get to a rebuild. Yeah, well, uh, unless, of course, the Tigers let Benji Marshall go. What a what a random uh, announcement that's been this week. Uh, absolutely classic Tigers there. It, uh, not, many, uh, not many teams allow the marketing department to choose their coach, but it seems that uh, uh, that's exactly the case at the West Tigers. Uh, Truly astonishing to to pull out Tim Sheens, who was the man in charge of the search, was uh, questionable best. He's been out of the NRL for ten years, bit of a nostalgia throw, but you know you can kind of give him a pass considering he's our only premiership winning coach. And you know these things never work out, but nothing really works out for the Tigers, so he might as well kick it back. But to sign Marshall, who's never really shown any intent to coach, who's never really uh, done a proper assistant gig, so on straight into the media since his retirement last year. Uh, really remarkable that they have signed him to a, to a, to a decent-sized deal and announced him as coach. Like, he may well turn out to the next Craig Bellamy, but the smart money is he won't, and and, and he certainly doesn't fit the profile of, of any any coach who's gone on to, not only be one of the greats, but gone on to be a kind of serviceable NRL coach. Yeah, I mean, you know, next next they'll be telling us Warren Ryan's coming back to, to run the uh, operations or something. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I it wouldn't surprise. <laughs> well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, uh, I was going to ask you too about the Titans because, of course, they're a club in trouble. And I don't think at the beginning of the season anybody thought they'd be the Spooners. They thought, there's, you know, the Tigers, the Dogs, potentially even the Warriors would, would, would beat them to that. But it seems to have all gone a bit sideways for Justin Holbrook, who we know is a decent coach. I mean, he's won premierships in, in the UK. And I think he's started reasonably well with the Titans. Where's it all gone wrong, do you think? Yeah, it's all gone really right this year. I'm with you, Rick. I, I, I had the Titans in the eight this year, and I thought they were uh, a good thing to be the top Queensland side with the Cowboys in the top two and the Broncos firmly entrenched in the eight and the Titans looking at the wooden spoon. That was that, that selection couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it's, yeah, he, he got a lot of kudos for, for kind of being able to recruit Tino uh, and um, Dave Fafita last year. But I think losing Jamal Fogarty at halfback has really left his team open. And he's had some, some curious team selections. He, he, he bit the ball and made some pretty big-name changes uh, last week, and they were they were certainly improved. But to me, I think Holbrook's a good coach, and the fit just isn't there at the Titans right now. If if I'm Canterbury or if I'm another club looking for a coach, and I think Newcastle will be looking for a coach soon, I think some Georgia Lawara will be looking for a coach soon, I think you could do worse than, than call Justin Holbrook and see what he's got to offer. What's this? I, I, I saw a whisper that um, the Parramatta Eels are shop, shopping Brad Arthur around potentially to the Dragons for next season. Yeah, remarkable for what he's done there. Like, Brad, and this isn't the first time this rumour's got out. You know, whether Brad Arthur is the man to take him to a premiership or not, I'm not sure. I I don't think he is. That window may have may have closed, but the job he's done at Parramatta has been nothing short of remarkable. We've got to remember this team hasn't won a premiership since 1986. They've had plenty of internal factors that have worked against them. They've gone through golden eras before and, and not taken on the trophy. He's done a very very good job building this team up, and, and I, I don't think he's being shown 
any respect at all at the Eels. I think it's a pretty disgraceful uh, leak, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm an Eels fan, mate, and I, I, you know, I don't get the. I mean, I know they can be inconsistent at times. You know, we've seen that this season. But I mean, they beat the Panthers and they beat the Storm and they beat the Roosters and lose to the Tigers and the Dogs. You know, that 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 happens. But um, I'd look at who's who's running recruitment and retention because how are you letting Reed Marnie and Isaiah Papali'i go? Um, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, and, and then some of the players they are deciding to keep and, you know, spinning overs on someone like Gutherson as well. It's just, uh, I think that's more the problem than the bloke that's coaching the team. Yeah, those Eels fans in the know certainly have Mark O'Neill's uh, name and face well and truly in the crosshairs at the moment. So um, he's a man been in charge for recruitment for a while. Uh, it's believed he and Brad Arthur are not on speaking terms. They have no relationship. So very hard for a club to succeed when there's no cohesion there. You just have to look at what Ben Eichmann's done up in Brisbane and how he's quickly turned it around by kind of meshing the, the needs of the football department and the needs of the, the, the coach and how he wants to coach the team with the recruitment. And, and, yeah, that's certainly not happening at the Eels. And to be honest, I'm not sure Brad Arthur's the one who needs to go because how you could let Reed Money go is the only man. The Dogs fan, very happy with that result. But, uh, um, you know, yeah, you've seen Isaiah Puffley yeah, really thrive this year and now he's off to the Tigers. Now, um, whether that's good for his career or not, we'll, we'll, we'll soon see. But uh, yeah, you would think Parramatta have made a big mistake in, in, in not kind of forking out there. Yeah, well, you do. I mean, they let Niakuro go as well to the to the Warriors. I mean, they're going to have to rebuild that Ford pack, which is uh, is going to take some doing. Uh, we should talk the Warriors. They play the Raiders this weekend, and they've made some selection changes this weekend too. Uh, Reese Walsh, we're in the number fourteen jersey. Chanel Harris Tavita back at fullback, and Dejan Arcee in the sixth jersey. How long did it take you to pick your jaw up off the floor when you saw that news? <laughs> Oh, I've got to respect the spitefulness of Stacey Jones this week. He's uh, he certainly put Reese Walsh in his place. He's uh, he's abandoning ship to go to the uh, the Broncos next year. Well, he's going to get no love from Stacey. So, uh, <laughs> you re- respect there on that front. But uh, yeah, uh, look, I, I thought they battled pretty well against Parramatta in the back half. I thought they were, uh, you know, they probably left their run a little bit late. But oh uh, yeah, Chanel Harris Tavita is not a fullback, so I, I just don't see any sense in that selection there. And, um, if I'm being serious, then Reece Walsh is definitely in their best back seven, and Harry's not on the side. You know, it's for reasons other than footballing, really, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the way it looks, mate. That's the way it looks. So they play a Raiders team who have been on a good uh, good run at the moment. Uh, I didn't expect them to turn the storm over on the weekend, but I certainly thought it would be closer than the 13.5 points the bookies gave them. Um and, you know, Sticky will be a happy man, and it's not easy to keep him happy. He's the grumpiest bloke I know. But uh, what's going on? What's going on? Speaking of grumpy blokes, what's going on with Craig Bellamy's team? I mean, three on the bounce that they've lost for the first time in seven years. Yeah, it's uh, it's all, all it's it's plenty of trouble there. Look, they were they were going very well until uh, Ryan Pappenhausen uh, shattered his kneecap uh, in a pretty heavy collision with Jack White in, in the first half, and it all kind of went sideways then. Pappenhausen's out for the year. I'm not really sure where the road back is to the, the storm. They've been, you know, you know, they've been an absolute uh, F-plus machine over the last kind of 15 years to finish top four and make grand finals and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, they're second place of the premiership still, but they've got a tough road to hoe. They're a, they're a team that have been built, and this has been the case for, for pretty much the last kind of two decades since Bellamy's been there, team of stars and scrubs, and now under Smith, Slater, it was very, very rare for any of them to get an injury. I know Slater had some injuries towards the back end of his career. Yeah, you know, Pappenhausen has been constantly hurt 
over the last couple of years. Yeah, and that, that has a big impact on the team. It's a big dish of their salary cap that's uh, uh, not playing this week, so uh, and not playing a lot. So and, and yeah, Cameron Munster is probably their best player. I think Ryan Pappenhausen's their most important. So um, I think they're going to be hard up against it to, to, to kind of come back this year. And we'll see. Never underestimate Craig Bellamy. Never underestimate the Storm. They've still got Munster, Hughes, Harry Grant. So a pretty big uh, top three there. And but you know, Brandon Smith copying that unnecessary suspension for a. Uh, uh, calling the referee a cheat, probably doing him no favours this week when they need all the stars they can get. No, that's true. I mean, that's uh, that, that was unusual. I remember watching that and thinking, what's he just been sent for? They've got the ball. I couldn't quite figure that out until I uh, until I saw the replay. Um, but yeah, that was that, that was new from the cheese because he there was something else he said that apparently as he went off, he said you did the same thing to Cameron Smith last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I um, yeah, I. I I don't know. I, I don't know who. Uh, yeah, I love them both, but I don't know who's got a foul in mouth on Wahiki Ol and the Mad Butcher or uh, or, or, or the Hecky Cheese. But uh, um, they're both both very opinionated and both don't mind saying what they think. And uh, uh, it's cost uh, it's cost the cheese this time. Yeah, it's it definitely cost them this time, mate. Hey, uh, probably the game of the round: the Panthers and the Sharks Saturday night. Which way do you see that going? Oh, it's hard to go past the Panthers here. They're they're pretty heavily favoured. The Sharks are. Are a good underdog side. I think it's from a betting point of view. I think the the line's about right. I think um, you know at, at, at top sport you can get about plus twelve, uh, plus twelve and a half the sharks. So that's uh, you know probably lean a little bit towards that. Well, Penrith are just a different team at um, at uh, Penrith Stadium. You know they've covered eleven to fifteen as a double digit favourite, and they've got the interesting storyline for me in this one is how the much maligned Panthers players from Origin three. Yep. Bounce back this week. You know, Jerome Luai has, has, and rightly, and should have been the sick before game three, but has been kind of widely reported now how poorly he's played and why his selection was, was so assumed. Nathan Cleary's been certainly been hammered in the media. Uh, how they, Stephen Crichton, how these guys bounce back this week. So um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think Penrith will be on this week. I think the Sharks are an underrated fan. I'd rather be the plus than the minus, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, fair, mate, fair. You mentioned Origin. Um, this has got to be Freddie's last go-round as Origin coach, doesn't it, for the time being at least? Uh, it, you you would think so, and I think I think it would be incumbent on him to, 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 to do a decent thing and resign. Like, um, Paul Kett wrote a good article. Um, I've certainly been on this wagon as well, uh, that... Yeah, all the, the the hippie walking bare feet through the dewy grass. Yeah, kind of came in well when he came, when he came to the side after years of kind of conservatism within the side. Now he's just now he's just he's just he's just a loopy the loopy uncle talking absolute bollocks over the Christmas table. Like, some of his selection decisions were madness. Like, yeah, that, you've, you've heard it a lot over the last kind of couple of weeks. New South Wales believe in origin as much as Queensland. I'm a New South Wales one. That's absolute bollocks. And you know, Queensland have been loyal to a fault and, and stuck by guys like Dane Gagai, uh, who had pretty ordinary couple, first couple of games. And you know, you see these Penrith players, Jerome Luai gets stuck by like his position never in doubt. Jack White, yeah, arguably the best player on the field in game one, not just for New South Wales. And all, yeah, gets COVID for game two, misses out that way. And all of a sudden, can't get back into the team for game three while they're picking players like CSC Metallica. He's got no idea what to do with. And Jerome Luai can't make a tackle. But I, I don't... Yeah, the New South Wales rugby league, if they don't sack Freddie, they have, at least have to take away selection power for him. 
Yeah. Who, if they do sack Freddie, who do you reckon gets the job? Um, will they go to someone who's unattached at the moment, like, I don't know, a Flanagan? Or do you think they they will try and copy Queensland and, and pick someone that's never coached before and hope it works? Yeah, I think I think they'll probably go somewhere in between there. I think where they will um, where they will land on this is they'll, oh, I'd, I'd be stunned if they went with a Shane Flanagan or one of those technical coaches. I think they'll go with um, Danny Bedeiris. Danny Bedeiris was, uh, was interim coach of Newcastle for a while, obviously former Origin captain, legend, uh, widely respected and, and kind of known for his common sense. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was uh, the man to take over if uh, if Freddie has moved on. Uh, now, if I'm looking for a bet this week, uh, I was I'm, I, they haven't they haven't listed it yet, but a, a drop goal to be scored in the in the Raiders Warriors game surely got to be um, got to be a worthwhile bet given the way that drop goals are featured and clashes between those two in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of a lot of uh, key drop kicks in uh, in those ones, and Sean Johnson's been around plenty of them actually. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. How close to, for me, the, the betting in this one is, is, is all wrong. The Warriors, you know, uh, we talked about before, they've got a pretty ordinary roster this year, but they're playing a lot a lot harder under um, under Stacey. And I will say this, that they have always played the Raiders, or in recent times, played the Raiders particularly closely. The last 10 have been split evenly. They won earlier in the year. I think the, the plus 10.5 is a ridiculous one. Yeah, well, you can get plus 12.5 over here at $1.90. Plus 12 and a half. Well, the geniuses at the tab are taking the Warriors on, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll have to send a bowler or two in to get that, set that 12 and a half up. You will, mate. You will. We know, we know plenty about the geniuses at the TAV, don't we, Nick? <laughs> we know too much about the geniuses at the TAV, so, uh, well, they'll... Uh, well, uh, when you've got a monopoly, it's hard not to uh, it's hard not to lose. Yeah, it is, mate. It is good stuff, Nick. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your time, mate. Always good to chat. Absolute pleasure, Ricardo. Chat soon. Cheers, will do. Uh, if you are a league fan and you like a bit of a laugh and you like a bit of insight as well, you could do way worse than uh, going and checking out makingthenut.com from the couch. Uh, from the couch is Nick's newsletter. Uh, he writes some great stuff in there. He's uh, got in, in this week's column, uh, he's got a bunch on uh, the Tigers saying that uh, Benji Marshall is going to be the coach from 2025. He's got a bit on Brad Fittler uh, and how he lost the series for uh, New South Wales. Uh, this is probably my favourite line uh, from that one. Fittler's selection the series was so out there you could drop six tabs of acid, put on Country Joe and the Fish, paint your face as the ultimate warrior and head to a local nursing home and be less out there. I think that says, uh, that, that's that's quite beautifully put. So, uh, yeah, check out Nick's column. It's definitely worth checking out. Can you get your thoughts, too, on the league this weekend? Where are you putting your money? Have you got a bet that you like this weekend on the league? I do like the Warriors plus 12.5 at $1.90. I think you put that in a multi and you're looking at doubling your money just about. So, uh, for me, that one is a, is a goodie. Have you got something you like? Uh, what do you make of Stacey's selections and the the, op, uh, the option to put Reese Walsh on the bench wearing the number 14 jersey. Um, I'm keen to get hear from you on that. If you're a Warriors fan, if you're not a Warriors fan, but you're an NRL fan, what's your pick this weekend and what's the game you're looking most forward to? Give us a call 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811 or 8833. 
This is SENZ Extra Time, 24 past 7. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Coming up shortly, John Devonshire is going to join us. He's the chairman of New Zealand Māori Rugby League. They've just been given a seat on the board of New Zealand Rugby League for the first time in their history, which is uh, fantastic. And we're going to talk to him about that, what that means for the game, what it means for Māori Rugby League as well. want to get your thoughts on this Warriors team that has been named today. We were just talking about it with uh, Nick Tedeschi, amongst other things. He thinks it's very much Stacey going, all right, you go off to the Broncos? Well, let's do what's best for the team uh, then. You can sit on the bench. Um, that would also suggest that the Warriors don't think they're going to make the eight. I see the TAB have got the Warriors to make the eight paying $51. So I don't know if Ben, ben if you fancy that, $51 for the Warriors to make the eight, are you, you going to invest no, unfortunately not. Okay. I think it's probably a stretch too far. A stretch too far. What did you make of this team? Chanel Harris to Vita at fullback. Dallin Watini Zelezniak, Marcelo Montoya on the wings. Jesse Arthurs, Adam Pompey in the centres. Dejan Arce and Sean Johnson in the halves. Adam Fanua Blake, Wade Egan and Tohu Harris, the front row. Ewan Aitken, Josh Curran. Uh, the second rowers and Jazz Tavanga as the lock. Uh, Reese Walsh, Bunty Afar, Aaron Penne and Jack Murchie on the bench. When I first saw it, I, I was surprised, especially with Reese Walsh on the bench. I think that was that was the main one, and people are saying, "Well, is it you know because he's going to Brisbane?" But then Chanel Harris Tavita isn't there next year. Yeah, that's there's true. no guarantee that Dejan Arce will be there next year because I don't know if he's on a loan deal, but or he got released and he's signed till the end of the season. But he's not guaranteed to be there next year. For I guess from Jesse Arthur's exactly neither yeah. is Jesse Arthur's, but I I think he'll stay on, but I, and I would like him to stay on. But I think part of it is maybe. They don't think Walsh has been offering enough at fullback of late because he's. It seems like he's had so much going on off the field that maybe it's affected his game, mm. and maybe Stacey Jones is just looking for something different that can offer a bit of a spark. And maybe he thinks maybe Reese Walsh coming on, you know, ten minutes before the break, offering a bit of spark off the bench when the ruck's starting to tire, might just change things up. So I'm assuming that's the thinking behind it. And I, like I said, I don't think Reese Walsh has been offering as much as he probably was in, in his debut season at fullback. So may, maybe there is a method to the madness here. But it'll be very interesting. I'm sure Stacey Jones will front the media before the game and he'll let everyone know why he's done what he's done. Okay, so if, if Reese Walsh comes off the bench, right, um, in the 14 jersey, um, who's playing out of dummy half? I mean, traditionally the 14 goes in for the nine. Well, I, I'd assume he would probably he'd probably be him. You reckon? I would say so. I don't I don't think you'd put anyone else there. The only other player you could re realistically put there would be Jazz Jazz Tavanga. But I I also this is just my perspective. I don't like Jazz Tavanga as a hooker. I think it takes away what Jazz does best when you play him at hooker. So I think I don't know who else you would take off. The only only other way you take him off is. I don't know. If do they will they bring him on and then do they put Dejan Arce defending in the middle? Yeah. And then Reese Walsh comes in on and attacks um, on one of the edges. I I don't know. So this is why I kind of need to hear what Stacey Jones has to say because he'll definitely kind of give some form of clue on how he plans to utilize Reese Walsh. Uh, but that's that's the only way I can really see it is if he, they put him in that nine because I don't think he'll he would play anywhere else or. Uh, as I say, will they move Arcee to hooker or does Sean Johnson want to go to hooker? They could move Chanel to hooker, but then that just 
why didn't put him on the bench in the first place? So yeah, yeah, he has a few questions to be answered there. But uh, can you get your thoughts on that? Actually, I saw I mentioned um, with Nick Tedeschi uh, about the drop goal scenario. There isn't at the moment that I can see a market at the TAB for a drop goal uh, in the match, but there is a will the match go to golden point option, which we've seen in this um, matchup before a few times. That is paying twenty six dollars. Tempted. A little. I, I was actually quite, when you mentioned the drop goal bet, that was one that did intrigue me. But I'm wondering whether it's an option the TAB have taken off because uh, on the Saturday session, my, one of my tips I had for the week was there to be a drop goal in the third All Blacks test. Mm. But there was no option for it. And it didn't happen. So if you did put, go put money on if it was there, you would have missed out. But I had a feeling there would be. So I, I suggested that. But I couldn't see an option for it. So maybe they've taken the drop goal bet off. Yeah, maybe they have. Maybe they have. We'll have to look at that. But I do, uh, as I mentioned at the start there, I do like the Warriors. They've given them a 12.5-point start against the Raiders. You'd be investing in that, wouldn't you, Ben? I don't know if I've got too much money to invest in the TAB at the moment. Okay, but, uh, all right. I, I, you bought new shoes today. Uh, well, so I went to try on new shoes. Oh, right, okay. I didn't get any. I tried some on. The, the kicks you're wearing today are very white. I thought they were new. No, not new. Oh, okay. Now they're literally the only clean pair of shoes I've got. Right. Okay. All right. Oh, that's right. We'll we'll get to, we'll get to that chat later on. It is uh, seven thirty here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to eleven o'clock. Uh, your thoughts on the league? You can give us a call oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven or double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine. When we come back, John Devonshire joins us from New Zealand Maori Rugby League. It's 25 minutes away from 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time and joining us now is the Chairman of New Zealand Māori Rugby League, John Devonshire. G'day, John, how are you? Oh, good, thank you, Rick. Yeah, good. That's the story. Well, Aotearoa Māori Rugby League, I should say, uh, to be completely correct, mate. Um, some great news this week that you've now officially got a seat on the New Zealand Rugby League board. Uh, I must say, I saw the news and I went, my first thought was that's great news, and my second thought was how come this is only happening in 2022? Yeah, exactly right. I, I sort of asked myself the same questions, <laughs> but um, hey, it is what it is. And uh, uh, yeah, New Zealand Mighty Rope Believe was formed on 1908, and um, you know, credit where credit's due. You, you, you 114 years later, we've been offered a seat at the table, and um, uh, credit to, like I say, uh, to the New Zealand Rugby League uh, current. Uh, administrators and officials uh, led by uh, Greg Peters. It's um, you know it's, it's been about uh, two years in the making, but we've you know done all the uh, the constitutional changes and all the legal stuff, and now we're um, yeah we're at the table. Yeah, which is fantastic. Oh, what does it mean for you, and what does it mean for Aotearoa Māori Rugby League? Well, 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 one it means a lot because it it, it means that you know you, you you consider yourself valued. You're part of the, you know, we're part of the game. Eighty-six percent of the people that play rugby league in Aotearoa are Māori and Pacifica. So to, to have a voice, but not only to have a voice, have a voting voice, and and be recognised for that. But it's bigger than that. As a country, we're maturing. Uh, as a code, we're maturing, and uh, uh, to have a sort of on the road to a co-governance model, it's outstanding. And and you know, you've got to be brave to do it because there's the doubting Thomases and, and around that think. Why? But, um, you know, when you've got a big membership and, and you know, like I say, as a country where uh, a lot of Māori and Pacific engage in rugby league, it, it, it's right. It feels right and it is right. Yeah, it does feel right. It does feel right. I mean, let's uh, paint the picture for people who maybe don't know. 
What falls up until now has fallen under the auspices of Aotearoa Māori Rugby League that the NZRL haven't looked after? Well, um, you know, it's time to, to be honest and tell it like it is. And uh, uh, I, I used the word uh, a few years ago of neglect. Mm-hmm. I used the word uh, words of um, we weren't recognised, we weren't acknowledged, we weren't appreciated, we weren't at the table. Uh, not one cent crossed in those well, 100 and uh, 14 years, not one cent went across. A little bit of resourcing, but yeah, materials and coaching, uh, education stuff. But yeah, we, you, you feel you know you feel left out. We're, we're left to our own devices. Uh, we run tournaments. We're up and down the country, you know, and in, in, in a lot of the rural areas where uh, a high population of Māori exists. And and you sort of um, we got on with it, you know. We still did a lot of drops and the chicken uh, raffles and stuff like that. And and we didn't ask for anything, but we were never given anything either. So, so to be invited, uh, you know, and it, 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 you know, it appears, and, and I'd like to 100% say that it, it's sincere mm. uh, and it's genuine uh, in this day and age. And as a country and as a co, like I said, we're mature enough. And I, I think, you know, well done to them, but also well done to us. Yeah, well done to you indeed. I mean, you, you talk about the you know the competitions that you run and the camps you run. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, that sort of stuff? And and you know those those kids uh, or young people that go to your camps or go and play in your say school holiday tournaments, etc. Uh, are they registered purely through Aotearoa uh, Maori Rugby League, or, or or do they register with New Zealand Rugby League as well as as part of that umbrella? Uh, previously, and, and has that changed anything now that you're on the board and that you're fully recognised? Well, well, not really. Um, uh, they weren't registered with the New Zealand Rugby League. We have, you know, it's it, it probably best explained that there was mainstream, and then and then there, there was us, and uh, our, our numbers are quite significant. We run tournaments from for a ten year old right through to a seniors, and we have about 170 teams. Uh, we run five tournaments. We usually base our tournaments out of Rotorua because geographically it's centrally located. So we have 10s, 11s, 12s, you know, 50 odd teams come there. Then we have 13s and 14s, which is our Taina. So we have Tamariki Taina, our Rangatahi, which is our uh, uh, 15s to, to 19s. And then we have our seniors. So it's about 170. And we're ten- the beauty about us, you know, it's, uh, and Akumara never talks of its sweetness, but we pull teams out where mainstream can't. Now, we had a, a girls' tournament recently. We had teams from Invercargill, Gisborne, and, and places like there, the, the far north, um, Huni Harawira and his, his team up there, they're doing a great job right in Paitokura out of Kauraia. So, you know, it, it's that a little bit different where it's, it's a little bit about passion. And one of the main criteria that we have is, um, is you know, in English ge- uh, genealogy, in Māori we say whakapapa. And it's about whakapapa and connection. So the so the family that's uh, shifted from uh, uh, Taranaki to Wellington for work and stuff, they can go back and play for Taranaki because that's where they come from, and that's their marae, that's their hapu, that's their iwi. So, so we have a little bit more leniency in that, and, and, and that's cool. And, and that's numbers, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, numbers equates to dollars and stuff like that. But I, I really admire Greg Peters and his team because it's sincere. It's not about numbers. It's not that other horrible keyword that I don't like called tokenism. It's, it's, it's genuine and it's sincere. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's great news. And I mean, you know, you've told me that it means that you feel more included now and, 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 and it feels like uh, Māori Rugby League is recognised. But from, I guess, a more, um, I, don't know, I don't know what the right term is, but from a, from a, 
uh, a point of view of what it actually means and maybe on a more material front uh, might be the best way to put that. What, is, what does this mean now for uh, Aotearoa Māori Rugby League having a, a seat on that New Zealand Rugby League board? Well, you know, it's a voice and you, it can express yourself openly without fear because it's permanent, it's not voted on. So, uh, you know, it's not an AGM where, you know, the, uh, the best dressed first up gets it and all the votes and he wins. It's, it's a permanent position and, and that's very significant because uh, it's, it's a dedicate, dedicated position to the chairperson at the time. That happens to be me and, um, and that's cool too. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's the fact that, yeah, it's a voice uh, and... You know, whether you're Asian, Pacific, Māori, Park, or whatever, you all want what's best. And, and regarded, the main reason, it's about the game. And mm. I think the game wins. Yeah, The I game mean, wins in this. It's, but it's about the game. No one is bigger or, you know, and you talk about opportunities. And the likes of the Gordon, uh, Jordan Rickies over at the um, the Broncos and Matthew Mukwa at the Raiders, there's a lot of a lot of players that have come through our tournaments and that are Māori and that. You know, the, the Adam Blairs, Isaac Luke's, you know, even Caelan Pong has played for New Zealand Māori and Dane Gagai and those sort of guys. So it, it's it's about culture. It's about culture and uh, and recognising your culture and, 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 and reaching out to it, I guess. And does it, do you think it'll make it easier for, um, you know, the Kiwis and, and the Kiwi Ferns and maybe even the warrior, uh, the Warriors to, to hold on to, to some of our young homegrown players as they come through the ranks uh, rather than seeing them dis- disappear, you know, to Aussie clubs all the time? Well, um, you know, the opportunity, the Warriors can't have, have everyone and, and it's, it's a sort of a a bone of contention with the Warriors, how they don't embrace their own local talent here in Aotearoa, whether that be Māori or Pacific or what, and, and all the good ones get away. And, and you know, just with some of our um, our concepts around family, genuine family, about genuine caring for each other and wanting to play for each other and knocking each other down and, and, and pathways and stuff like that. I, um, you know, I hope that, you know, that, that they, see, they see the value of it and that they see, you know, it can grow because you know one thing uh, about a sport in New Zealand is is once you embrace that whānau concept or that family concept, you get your environment right, you get your culture right, and that transform, uh, transforms to the uh, or transitions to the field, and it's just just embracing that, embracing your culture, but it has to be done right with um, uh, sincerity rather than you know just a commercial value. Yeah, and that's. Um, uh, I think it's got to be positive for New Zealand Rugby League moving forward overall. I know you said it's not just about numbers for New Zealand Rugby League, but I mean you're talking some of the numbers of the, particularly the youth that you have coming through and the uh, and, and things are, are huge numbers really. I mean that, that's that's some big numbers you're talking about, 170 teams, and that's got to be best uh, good for everybody that everybody's on the same sheet and knows exactly where everybody is. I'm I'm looking at the board at the moment, of course. Uh, uh, Hugh Martin is the chair, Howie Tamadi is the president, and Natasha Terry is the uh, deputy chair. Justin Leidersdorf, Tawara Nikia, Jenny Pierce, Grant Stapleton there. And we also saw uh, Honey uh, Hyderma Smiler uh, given a position on the board as well. So we're seeing uh, more yep. diversity on that board as well, mate. And I, I guess that you're, you're on that board as well. They, they just haven't quite got around to chiseling your name in there yet. Yeah, well, uh, the, 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 uh, the constitutional meeting was only... Um, Done on Saturday afternoon, so um, you know I've uh, yeah got a little little bit of uh, orientation to, to go through and, and and you know make it make it uh, official or, or get win all the comms and stuff. So no, it's exciting um, and and, it, and it's 
it's also let's not forget it's it's sort of honouring the treaty yep. and looking at articles within the treaty, which as a country we were mature enough to do, and as a people, and and it's it's not radical, you know. I would love to have a Maori team at the World Cup, of course I would, but I understand, you know, the the, the mythology around uh, one country, one team, and stuff like that. But there's other areas like the All Stars and stuff where where Maori can be involved, maybe the Pacific Cup because uh, we're a Pacific people. So, um, yeah, we, 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 you know, we're all Kiwis at heart and, you know, we, we support the, um, you know, the, the Kiwis in, in general and, and, and later on in this year's World Cup, most definitely. Uh, I know that in the past that you, um, as Aotearoa Māori Rugby League, have, have run the, uh, the, the Indigenous All-Stars team, the Māori All-Stars, for that Indigenous All-Stars game. Will that continue to be the case or will it now sort of New Zealand Rugby League take over looking after that as well? No, well, um, there, there, there's a saying uh, around tinoranga tiratanga and manamotahaki, and, and that's about maintaining your focus, maintaining your uh, integrity and order of priority and how you see it. And, uh, and, and that's uh, in our constitution and the membership arrangements. That, that was the underpinning uh, statement that had to be acknowledged by both parties. And that was that was that went through without a, without a problem. And... The, uh, getting to the All-Stars, we made the announcement, uh, I think it was a couple of Mondays ago, that it is going to Rotorua Stadium and it is uh, being hosted uh, in New Zealand for the first time when we had uh, Abdo and, uh, and his crew over here. So, no, we, we're still very much, you know, it's like a partnership and a relationship. You know, you've you got to communicate and that, but, but uh, no way uh, do you tell yourself. No, you don't. And, I mean, that is fantastic news as well, of course, that you got the All-Stars game coming here to New Zealand that, uh, I mean, you know, shy of getting an origin or a grand final, that's as good as it gets, isn't it? Well, that's the third. And the, the, to have a pecking order of events and, and activities that the NRL do, and it, it's led by the, uh, the, the grand final, and then it's followed by origin, and then it's followed by the uh, Indigenous All-Stars game. So so we're right up there, and, um, you know, this is our fifth year, and... Uh, you know, it's a great occasion because uh, it celebrates culture first, and then and then it's the football after. And, and really, the greatest resource that a people, uh, uh, the co, any co could have is its people. So to celebrate that from a cultural perspective, including and inclusive of our people, both Indigenous and Maori, is outstanding. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic, mate. I'm looking forward to that game uh, next year. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we've all seen, you know, you would have been there a couple of weeks ago at Mount Smart Stadium. Um, you know, the, the Tongan, now the Tongan fans do things. It'd be great if we can replicate that with Māori fans and, and Rota Vegas, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, any fans, that, that's unique. You know, that, that's unique in itself. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and our Tongan and our Pacific Afanos, they, they do it well with the hymns and the colour and the belief. And yeah, you know, that, that on the back of what happened in uh, 2017, there's a lot of us have been around the around sport for a number of years. But what they replicated in 2017 was actually something very, very special. And look what what happened there: wins over the Kiwis, wins over the Kangaroos. You would never thought that was possible, you know, and stuff like that. So it does make a make an impact, and it's good for the people. It's good for all Tongans that are aspiring to, you know, to pull on the red jersey. So yeah, that was fantastic, and uh, it was a, an outstanding. It was an outstanding sort of month, July, because you know you, you had the war, uh, the Kiwis, Tongans, you had the Warriors coming home, you had our announcement, and on Saturday we've had this, so you know it's been pretty hard when you're trying to do a dry July. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong. I, I know that feeling. I, I saw a mate of mine post a picture of a uh, she was a substantial amount of cans of Sapporo saying that he lasted four hours in his dry July, and that was his record uh, so far. It sounds like you're doing better than that, John. I do have to ask you. Obviously, uh, you'd be a you'd be a Warriors fan, but uh, like me, you you you've been following rugby league a lot longer than the Warriors have been around. Have you got a team in Aussie that you used to follow in the NRL before that we had the Warriors? Yeah, yeah, before we had the Warriors, it was Manly, and that was on the back of Sir Graham Lowe. You know, we, uh, he, you know, he was of Manly, and he had Reggie, and there were a few other Kiwis in there, Daryl Williams and stuff. And, and, and he, he, you know, he, for, for New Zealand coaches and stuff, there haven't been many after. You know, you had the Coonies and that. And, uh, but, yeah, so it was Manly, and that was the closest thing. I, I love the beaches. But there was only one problem with Lowe. And that was that he was a Queenslander. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That is well said, John. Yeah. Hey, really appreciate your time today, mate. And once again, uh, congratulations on um, getting Aotearoa Māori New Zealand Rugby League on the board of New Zealand Rugby League too. That is fantastic news. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, John Devonshire there, the chair of Aotearoa Māori Rugby League. Uh, this is NZ, uh, SENZ Extra Time. We're 10 away from 8. <laughs> And six away from eight on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. Coming up after eight o'clock, uh, we are going to catch up with Dan Power. He is uh, the voice of Major League Rugby. is one of the main commentators. He also hosts the Major League Rugby podcast as well. Uh, the USA, of course, uh, lost over two games to Chile and the uh, in qualifying for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, given how big Major League Rugby seems to have become and seems to be growing exponentially, I think most of us thought the US would get there pretty easily, but it uh, hasn't been the case. We'll talk to Dan about that and why maybe that is as well. We'll also catch up with Andrew McGlashan, who's an Englishman living in Australia, uh, works for Crick Info, and uh, he's going to talk to us about Ben Stokes retiring, retiring from ODIs and the timing of that as well. So that coming up. In the next hour, this is a story that I thought was interesting, that Dragons chairman Craig Young has said that Anthony Griffin has the full support of the club. That's usually what they call the kiss of death. Um, the question is, how long has Anthony Griffin got left in that job, particularly with that schmozzle of a second half against the Roosters for the Dragons on the weekend? i tell you what, there's going to be a few clubs at the beginning of next season with new coaches. I think I reckon the turnover is going to be about 50 about 50-50 in terms of, about, I reckon about half the clubs can have new coaches from the beginning of this season to the beginning of next season. And uh, Anthony Griffin, I think, uh, is going to be on his way out sooner rather than later at the Dragons, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes from there because obviously it didn't work for him at Penrith. He had run-ins with the players. It didn't work with him at the Broncos either. Um, so where to next for Anthony Griffin, or is that him done as an NRL head coach? It is coming up to 8 o'clock here on SENZ. We're with you here on Extra Time right through till 11 o'clock. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. Coming up a little bit later on this hour, Dan Power, the man who is the voice of Major League Rugby in the States, runs their podcast, does a lot of their commentaries as well. He's going to join us to talk about the ramifications of the US losing to Chile in the playoff to get to the Rugby World Cup, uh, considering that they host the Rugby World Cup in 2031. What does that mean and what impacts it going to have on US rugby? Uh, is it going to be in for a shake-up? Before we do that, though, uh, we are going to talk cricket and uh, joining us out of, I'm assuming, Sydney is uh, an Englishman in exile in Australia and probably quite happy he's not home with the heat that they've got over there. Andrew McGlashan, g'day, how are you? 
Hi there, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Have you uh, exported some uh, Sydney weather to, to Blighty at the moment? I talked to a mate yesterday. He said it was 35 degrees at 9 in the morning. It sounds like it, doesn't it? And they're, they're tipping that it might top 40 in a couple of places today, which is extraordinary heat for back in the UK. And I know it is a bit of a running joke on this sort of side of the world, but it's um, it's it's just the heat that the UK aren't, aren't, aren't sort of prepared for. So I do hope everyone back there is is okay for the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah, indeed, mate, indeed. Well, actually, just, just for the record, what's the weather doing in Sydney at the moment? Uh, well, unsurprisingly, it's been raining again today, which is a familiar pattern over here uh, on recent times. We did have a very nice weekend, though. It's been chilly, but it was lovely sunny weekend, so can't complain too much. But we are due some more rain this week, unfortunately. I was a bit perturbed to see that you've got uh, football teams from the UK touring there at the moment in pre-season. Um, Palace, um, Manchester United, Aston Villa, Leeds. And I saw some players, I can't remember what team it was, but some players warming up with gloves and beanies on in Australia. I was like, come on. Come on, you guys play well, football in England in the winter. This isn't cold. Well, I think I've probably been here a bit too long now because I have to admit I have started to get slightly more winter thermals out the last couple of weeks over here. So I think I've clearly acclimatised to the uh, Australian weather a bit too much. <laughs> well, Andrew, we didn't get you on to, uh, for your meteorological uh, expertise. Uh, it was more... Thank goodness for that. Yeah, because yeah. uh, we'd reached the end of it right about there. Uh, but it was more about the cricket. And, uh, of course, England's test uh, captain, Ben Stokes, has uh, pulled the pin on his one-day international career, which um, I think has come as a surprise to everybody, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah um, absolutely, particularly with the next ODI World Cup Um sort of just over a year away um, in India. I mean, I think the surprise is that he's, and all, I guess in sport, nothing is ever absolutely final. There's nothing to say he can't turn around in 12 months' time and say, actually, I do fancy a dip at the World Cup. But I think it's the finality of it, which is a surprise that he said, right, that's it. I'm going to call it a day in this format rather than perhaps opting in and out of a few series, which, to be fair, I think shows the standing of, of the man and sort of how he's put the team first. He he doesn't want to commit to something he can't commit to 100%. He doesn't want to block another player coming through, which his statement said last night. Uh, but yeah, it was a surprise. By the sounds of it, this was in the pipeline since the start of the the one-day series against India, and he was just sort of waiting for the moment. It was, which I'm, I'm, well sure, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a moment, but it was quite a pointed statement as well, uh, clearly hinting at some of the wider issues um, uh, particularly of, of England's schedule. But yeah, a big shot uh, and a big loss to England's one-day side, albeit Ben Stokes hadn't played much one-day cricket since that uh, famous, or should I say infamous perhaps, World Cup final uh, a few years ago. Well, you, you, we, well, you mentioned that. I did see uh, somebody in New Zealand tweet this morning, why couldn't you have done this three years and five days ago? <laughs> Not that we're counting. It's a good job everyone's moved on, isn't it, really? (laughs) Very much so, mate. Very much so. Now, um, I guess the question then is um, who takes over the captaincy for the ODI team and uh, what direction that goes in and what also what it means, you know, for the white ball coach um, whose name escapes me now, the Australians taking over white ball cricket. Yeah, Yeah, because often the ODI teams and the T20 teams share a lot of personnel and they tend to, you know, the white ball teams tend to do a lot together. So what does this mean for him, do you think? Well, I mean, fortunately, England had already gone down the split cap route so the captaincy is not an issue they'll have to concern themselves with that's already with Josh Butler who 
took over from Owen Morgan uh, officially just 10 days ago when Owen Morgan himself retired from one-day cricket, different reasons than Ben Stokes. He'd come to the end of it. He'd run his race in, in one-day cricket. He, he didn't look the battery he once was and didn't feel he could make the next two World Cups, so he gave it in a, a couple of weeks ago. So Josh Butler has got charge of the team, but you're right, it is. it has been a bit of a, a sharp introduction for Matthew Mott into this role. He's now got a new captain to work under, which I think actually the way that it's been sort of talked about the last week or so, he sort of expected it to happen, that, Matt, that Owen Morgan wouldn't stay on, but I'm not sure he would have expected Ben Stokes to depart as well. So he's lost he's lost two key players in the space of a couple of weeks. So there's certainly of rebuilding they tried to do. They didn't play that well in India in the three matches and the finish. They lost that series 2-1. The batting isn't quite firing as they're now to do in one-day cricket. So it's a really now for England's one-day team um, and the T20 side, um, Matthew Mod has got, uh, I wouldn't say got work to do, they haven't become a bad team, there's no sort of, don't think there's any major holes in the team, but they do have a, treat, a T20 World Cup coming up in just a few months' time here in Australia, and of course that one-day World Cup to build to India, so they need to work out that middle order, which Ben Stokes would have been a first-choice part, and of course with Ben Stokes, you lose two cricketers, you lose a bowler and a batter, so they're going to have to look at the balance of the team. That will be very interesting. Uh, we'll sort of, we'll probably get an idea in the la- in the latter two ODIs against Africa. Ben is having his farewell game on his home ground um, today, um, and then we'll we'll get an idea. I think in the two games that follow, the structure that England might look at going forward. Uh, but it's going to be a big task. Uh, you, you're losing a creator of Ben Stokes' stature, um, and it's going to take it's going to take some time to fill. So it's certainly got um Matthew Mott certainly got a bit on his plate early on in his uh, his coaching lane. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's not just a captain. He's well, you know, potential captain or a leader. He's lost, but it's you know the best all rounder you've got. So you've got to find somebody who can bat five, six, or seven, I guess, depending on on the game around there, yeah. and give you ten overs with the ball as well. You know, and those don't yeah. grow on trees. Not at that. They level. don't. I, I, I certainly not. I mean, I don't. The batting side of it, I don't think will be. I mean, it's a big hole to fill. But England's white ball batting depth is considerable at the moment, albeit they haven't had a great week against India. But there are some very talented young white ball batters coming through. Um, Liam Livingston, who's just come into the team now, he might get more responsibility. There's a few guys on the fringes. Harry Brook, uh, for example, who nearly gone in the test side against New Zealand as well a few weeks ago. I think he'll probably come into the mix. Um, But you're right, it is the balance of the side that's going to be the the interesting thing. that They'll hope they get someone like Chris Wokes back in the coming months he's injured at the moment but he's he could potentially be a big figure building up to the next ODI World Cup because he's a he's a guy who he's not going to bat four or five like Ben Stokes did but he could he could bat seven-ish and provide you absolutely 10 overs with the ball and then you're looking at your the likes of the David Willies who played series against India you're looking at your spin bowling all-rounders does Moeen Ali go up the order and play a, a more important role with the bat those are all things they're going to have to think about, and the amount of overs that Liam Livingston can provide. Are they confident enough in his bowling that he can perhaps do a bit more? But none of these guys are, are Ben Stokes, which comes back to the original point that it is, it is absolutely a, a big hole to fill, and it is going to be fascinating to see how they do it. Yeah, forgive me if, if, if I missed you saying it, but I, I, was, I was going to ask you about Sam Curran as well. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. He's another one to put into the mix as well. He's sort of been eased back a little bit over the last few weeks from this stress factor he's had. He, he's, um, he was on slightly limited workloads in the matches against the Netherlands um, a few weeks ago. So he, he's in and around the squad. And yes, he's almost perhaps the most like-for-like in that he is an absolutely top-quality 
left-handed batter who could easily bat. I mean, he hasn't done it a lot yet, but I reckon he could easily bat five in international cricket um, if they want him to do that, certainly six. And once he's, once he's back up to full fitness, is certainly a 10-over bowler as well. So he will certainly be one that comes back into the mix. It'll be ranging with him how much responsibility with the bat they give him going forward because he is an absolutely hugely talented batter. Yeah, he's a fantastic player, isn't he? Um, what the, uh, NASA Hussein has uh, been speaking in the press and you know bemoaning the schedule um, for international mm. players, and I think he has a fair point. But I mean, it's a point that could have been made four years ago. Um, do you think there's a danger with you know the likes of Ben Stokes and I know there are others that are Australian players from Indian players that have done it as well um, that ODI cricket you know. Because there's so much money in in T20 and and Red Ball is the antithesis of the game, or you know, is the pinnacle mm. of the game, I should say, that ODI goes by the roadside eventually. Yes, I think there is a, a danger of that. Uh, certainly, in terms of the mark, what you might term the marquee or multi-format players. Um, well, so I think we're already seeing that. I mean, we're seeing a lot of what you might term slightly weakened sides playing one day cricket because there's so much of it. And this is, I think we also have to see, does the schedule sort of now, it doesn't look as though it's going to ease out. There's been a, we've been running a few stories over the last few days about the new future tours program, uh, which is going to be confirmed at the end of this month, which will cover the next four years. And it doesn't look as though there's going to be a massive reduction in, in one day cricket, despite people saying it's on the wane. I mean, there is, there were was, there was World Cups plugged in for the next uh, ODI World Cups plugged in until 2031 at least, and they make a lot of money for TV. So the ODI World Cup will remain for many years to come. The question is going to be what fills in the gaps uh, bilaterally in those in those years between World Cups. There's a Champions Trophy every other second year, so there's basically every two years there's a marquee 50-over uh, event. Now, what what goes in between that? How much kudos the teams put in playing each other? in one-day cricket going forward. And I think that might vary from country to country. The countries that have big broadcasting deals that still want to make money off it, and that's your big three, Australia, India, your England, and then the teams they then play, um, you might see them continue to play it. But how much we'll see with what you might term full-strength sides, I'm not sure going forward. Players are going to pick and choose more. Um, I think the split that Ben Stokes has made, which is, and obviously he's test match captain, so it's, it's a natural split for him to focus on that. He wants to prioritise, he wants to put more work into T20 cricket. That, for him, seems a natural split. I wouldn't surprise me if that's a split more players go down. And I should caveat with that saying those that have the ability to make that decision, not every three-format player in the world has the luxury of being in the position Ben Stokes has done, which is basically just to go, I'm done with one format of the game. England's cricketers are well-paid, well-rewarded. The game is well-financed. They can afford to do that. Not every player in the world will feel they can make that decision. So that's going to be a decision players have to make individually. But um, the schedule plays a part in this. Um, England are particularly, I wouldn't going to say bad at this, or the ECB are, are bringing everything they can get out of their players. Um, India do the same. They have a very wide pool of players. Australia are sort of somewhere in the middle with it in terms of how much they put their players through. Um, and then it's certainly not the same for the teams lower down. That's some of them are wanting more cricket to be played so it's not a carte blanche issue across the world but certainly for England's players it's a big issue and one that um, this Ben Stokes decision might just be the tip of the iceberg Yeah and what what does um, that mean for Ben Stokes and the 100 or are players like Ben Stokes not expected by the ECB to front for the 100? 
Well, so this is an interesting part of this. A couple of days ago, before the big news of his ODI retirement, he'd, it, actually, it had sort of been flipped out in, in other news that he was not going to play the 100 this season. He, he is contracted the 100. He's one of the marquee names at the 100. Was built around. He played, I think it was one game last season. Then he took his break from the game. Um, so he's not going to be seen in the 100 or, or, or at all this season. Um, other England players will be. Um, all, all England's players, the sort of main white ball players, are, are linked to one of the... The, the, the franchises, so they will be making appearances. And going forward, one of the one of the things we've seen from the the FTP uh, draft that, that some of us have seen um, in the last few days is that there are more gaps being engineered now for these main white ball tournaments, domestic tournaments. So the IPL obviously gets two two and a half months more in the future. Um, and the hundred is managing to engineer itself a gap, or the ECB is doing this in the first few weeks of August. So in the summers going forward. We're going to see England players are available for the 100. How much they play, I think, is, is, is to be confirmed. Australia, of course, wants a little window for the BBL as well. Other leagues want windows as well. And you also be run out of time. Uh, so that's a long way of saying this year he won't be seen in the 100. Going forward, not sure. But um, that's just another demand on England's players, uh, which they're trying to, trying to squeeze into the schedule. Yeah, I mean, because I don't know about you, but I would say, I mean, I love Test cricket, but probably my favourite form of cricket is ODI cricket, um, probably because of when I grew up, you know, in the in the yeah. 80s, watching those World Series tournaments out of Australia down here uh, and things. And I, I really don't care about T20 cricket. It's just hit and giggle as far as I'm concerned. So it's it's not high on my priority list. I mean, as somebody that follows cricket and reports on it for a living, do you, do you have a preference? Oh, I'm probably of a similar order to you, actually. I mean, Test cricket would be my personal number one, uh, and then I do I do enjoy one day cricket. Um, I don't have a hatred for T20. I'd probably be in the wrong job if I had a hatred for T20 because there's so much of the damn stuff going around. <laughs> I do find I do find there's too much T20, but then no one's forcing. I think beyond what I have to cover for the job, no one's forcing me to watch the other T20. So I do pick and choose what I watch in terms of T20, but I will quietly sit and watch any. Test match. I mean, if I wanted to, I'd watch Sri Lanka, Pakistan. That's going on at the moment. I'd watch. I watch a lot of the England seasons. I watch all the New Zealand stuff when it's on in the summer down here. And um, ODIs. I quite like. I quite like watching a day of cricket. It still feels a nice day of cricket to me. Mm. ODI cricket. Um, and I do think the game has transformed a bit. Um, it is played more attackingly now. I don't think it's going to disappear. Like I say, the, the ODI World Cup is too lucrative for the format to disappear. Uh, completely. The fundamental point, though, is the game is that, and whether we like it or not, is what we might class ourselves as more traditionalist followers of the game. The money in T20 has changed the game. We've seen the broadcast rights deal for the IPL that was completed a few weeks ago. That was a game-changing deal for cricket, and that's only going to now continue changing the game. Now, the argument is, is it good change? Is it bad change? That's and that's a different conversation. It is fundamentally, though, game-changing. And now, effectively, each of the big players in cricket now have their own version of a, of a league. None of them are as big as the IPL and probably never will be. Um, but um, it is an inevitable way the game is heading. That The question is now is what other parts of the game can survive and still flourish. Um, Test cricket, ODI cricket, domestic cricket, other leagues, um, some of the smaller leagues, and that's the big challenge cricket has in its next decade now, sort of going forward, is is where does this all fit in and how does the jigsaw puzzle piece together? So uh, T20 cricket isn't going, going anywhere now. That, that, this is the way cricket is going now. It's now the challenge is for the game to find its balance 
and at the moment that balance is a bit out of kilter certainly for some boards uh, more than others yeah okay all right well that uh, that that certainly makes sense um from a financial point of view i can see why players do it i mean you know that's where the money is is in t20 career i wouldn't say i hate t20 career i'm just not invested i, I couldn't tell you what, yeah, what new zealand I, player plays for what team in the ipl because I, I just don't watch yeah, it I, I, I think that's a fairly familiar refrain from, I mean, like the people I sort of, the cricket circles I sort of socialise in or talk in or work in, that sort of sort of matches with, with, with what I hear. But then, but then you 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 look at the demographics. So what I'm so I'm, I'm for example I'm forty now. Take twenty years off that. What are the twenty year olds now who are going to be my age in twenty years time? That's because that's the growing audience and that's kind of where. That's why the game is in this challenge at the moment because there's a vast audience, sort of a younger audience that um, not that they don't want to watch Test cricket, but they're getting into the game through T20, and that's 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 why it's important to the game. So it's a real fine balancing act for the game. You have you obviously want to um, protect the audiences you have who enjoy Test cricket and other cricket, uh, but you really have to have an eye on what's coming up um, underneath because there are always generations to follow. Now, as a, an Englishman based in Australia covering cricket, are uh, you officially the uh, president of the Dinesh Chandamal fan club in Sydney now? <laughs> he's been good to watch the last few weeks. He's uh, he's, he's had some. Um, he's, he's played. He's played superbly well. I enjoyed those two Test matches in Sri Lanka and Australia. Played. They were inter- entertaining cricket. The first one obviously was a crazy game, and then Sri Lanka came back superbly well. Yeah, and yeah, that was a superb innings by. Chandamal, he's always a nice player to watch when he's on form. So, yeah, that was a, a nice innings, and he's backed it up in this test match um, against Pakistan as well. So, he's in a bit of form, so is Babur Azam. There's, a, there's been some really good test cricket, actually, the last few weeks, which, going back to the theme of our chat here, has, has been good to watch, and kind of, I'm always always a fan, always up for promoting good test cricket, and there has been some good stuff in the last few weeks. There has been indeed. Andrew, thanks very much for giving us some time tonight, mate. Uh, always good to chat cricket with you. Go well and uh, enjoy the rest of your winter. Stay rugged up. Uh, will do. Good to chat, mate. <laughs> good stuff. Andrew McGlashan there from ESPN Crick Info with us. It is 20 past eight here on SCNZ. <laughs> It's 24 past eight here on SENZX for a time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. After nine o'clock, it is Rumble on the radio back for another night. And it is a Fight for Life special coming up on Thursday night. Fight for Life is taking place over the shore here in Auckland. Is of course, on Sky Arena as well. And uh, it's going to be some fantastic fights. Uh, there's a bunch of pro fights on the card as well as having the, you know, uh, what they call the corporate fights with the athletes. Wairangi Korpu up against Kevin Miller. Lamu is uh, one of the headline fights. Uh, you've also got Carlos Spencer fighting. Uh, Liam Messam is fighting. Paul Fatuera, James Gave having a go. So uh, it's it's going to be a great night. We're going to cover all of that off in the next hour here on SENZ. But something that I mentioned with Andrew McGlashan earlier when we were talking cricket was Nasser Hussain, former England captain, talking about the way that modern cricketers have to juggle so many games, such a, a tough calendar to negotiate as a professional. This is what he had to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it came, it came as a surprise, to be honest, because, um, you know, you thought that he would be looked after as far as rested from various white ball uh, tournaments and formats. He'd already announced he's going to miss some white ball series over the 100. Uh, to completely knock 50 over cricket on the head, uh, is a massive surprise. And, you know, I guess it's the schedule. The cricketing schedule is absolutely crazy at the moment. If you just play in the one format, so you don't call in test match cricket, it's absolutely fine. But if you're 
a multi-format, multi-dimensional England Test match captain like Ben Stokes that throws himself into his job 100% on and off the field. Eventually, something's going to have to give, and it looks like it is 50-over cricket, which is a real shame because he gave us and England fans the greatest day for a very long time in 2019, a day we'll never forget with that World Cup final. So it is um, disappointing news to say the least, but it, it is a, a reflection of where the cricketing schedule is at the moment. It is madness for players. Excuse me too, you know, are you slightly concerned that this could happen, you know, and, and have a bit of a domino effect? The players look at this situation, look at the likes of Ben Stokes and think, well, if he can't cope with this, why can I play in three formats? Yeah, I mean, listen, Pete, as an individual, you have to make that decision. In, in all walks and formats of life, whoever you are, you have to look at what you're doing. And, and you know, they are well remunerated. Um, you know, it's their choice what they do. The IPL is getting a, a wider window. Um, so that will go on for even longer and players will be attracted to that. I see South Africa have pulled out of a, a bilateral or a, a series coming up in white ball cricket that could cost them qualification. Um for the World Cup, um, you know, that is a, a big deal, to be honest. So for a, for a T20 franchise tournament, they want to focus in on at home. So it looks like 50 over cricket is the one everyone's looking at because everyone loves Test Match cricket and everyone loves T20 cricket. And it's looking like 50 over cricket uh, is the one. I was surprised maybe that, you know, you could say to Ben Stokes, listen, just have the time off that you need. If you need to miss any 50 over bilateral, tournament that's fine we understand your workload um, but we'd still like to consider you for the major world events he's that much of a player and so important uh, as a player but I reckon Ben Stokes is a sort of bloke that just doesn't like um, holding people back he said in his statement I don't want to hold out the place of a teammate and I guess he wouldn't like it the other way around where a teammate has played all the way through and then suddenly he strolls in for an ICC event. So, um, you know, anyone that's seen Ben Stokes will see that he does everything 100%. And we saw yesterday in the body, he chased one up at uh, third man up at Manchester and he fell over in a heap holding his knee. He hasn't bowled that many overs this summer. And I think body his body's failing him a little bit. So there you go. That is Nasu Hussain talking about yeah, the incredible amount of games uh, and the cricket schedule that players have to negotiate in the wake of Ben Stokes deciding to retire completely from ODI cricket with the World Cup only a year away. It is uh, 28 past eight here on SENZ. When we come back, we are going to catch up with Dan Power, uh, the man who runs... Uh, the, uh, the I was going to say the Australian, he's an Australian in America, but uh, the Major League Rugby podcast and commentates all the Major League Rugby games as well. Going to talk about the US losing that playoff game to Chile to get to the next Rugby World Cup. Still five to play, but Santiago, Villafella. Puts this one high. It's over. It's the first lead for the Chileans in this game. They bring it down to the ground. Clemente Saavedra. Bodies piling in everywhere. Chile. For the first time in history, the great nation of Chile will take part in the Rugby World Cup spectacle. 55 years in the making. The South Americans will finally bring their flair to France in 2023. Against all odds. Against all odds is right. That 
was unreal from this Chilean side. Congratulations to them. Okay. Look at those faces down. That is incredible stuff. July 16th, 2022 is the greatest day in Chilean rugby history. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. And joining us is the vase, uh, the vase, the voice of uh, United States Major League Rugby. You can hear him on CBS Sports, Fox Sports and ESPN as well. He's also the host of the official MLR podcast, MLR co- uh, kickoff. Dan Power, good evening to you. How are you, sir? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good to talk to you again. It's uh, hard to believe it's been what, almost 12 months since uh, we, were, we were talking about 100 points from the All Blacks and they went and did it. So it's good to be back. Yeah, mate. It's good to have you back. Unfortunate uh, circumstances to have you back, but I guess it uh, puts a bit of a, a microscope on not just US rugby, but North American rugby, because this is going to be the first World Cup that we've had neither Canada nor the United States represented. So yeah, Canada, Canada out, which is a real shame. But uh, US one last chance in the repechage this November in Dubai. But they've got to get through what's what's come to be a very strong Portugal outfit, um, and I think Hong Kong and Kenya will be in that. With Tonga most likely to beat Kenya this coming weekend. Uh, sorry, uh, Tonga most likely to beat Hong Kong this coming weekend for the Asia Pacific one seed. So. They're not out yet, but, man, that's going to be a tough road trip to Dubai and, and Portugal. They've been playing some really good rugby this year. Yeah, there's an emergence of a lot of uh, nations out of Europe. You know, we're seeing, you know, Germany are getting stronger. Obviously, Romania have been a traditional power that seem to be coming back. We all know Spain's story as well. So it's uh, the sport is definitely growing and getting more depth, particularly in Europe, mate. But, I mean, what was the reaction to the rugby public, uh, from the rugby public, rugby fans in the US, to this loss to Chile? Yeah, it was a mixture, right? There was a lot of shock, obviously. You know, we played against Chile quite a bit in the, the now-defunct ARC, the America's Rugby Championship, and had their number pretty convincingly a few years ago. Um, but, but credit to what they've done in the last few years. They've stayed busy. You know, they're in, in SLA, which is the South American version of Major League Rugby, effectively as one team, which is their, their domestic national team, playing together the last two years, and it's starting to pay dividends. So there were some rumblings leading into the game, just how poor the US looked against Uruguay that not to take Chile lightly, but I don't think anyone really took them seriously just because the historical results there, mate. And then the one point win down in Chile, it just, you know, in hindsight's 2020, but you just had this bad feeling that something was going to happen. And I say that from an American perspective, but I think from a rugby perspective, how wonderful to see Chile get to their first ever world cup and full credit to what they've done down there. And it's just going to be so exciting that, see them, you know, punch their ticket now and, and go to their World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it will be. It's a, it's a real fairy tale, isn't it, story for them. Um, where to next, though, for the USA Eagles, do you think? I mean, you know, you've got the ripper charges you mentioned, but still, there have got to be questions asked at the at the top level, don't there, as to, as to why you're having to go this far? Yeah, I think any time... You know, a team finds themselves in this situation that there's obviously a lot of questions and a lot of soul searching, both from an organizational standpoint and a playing roster as well. Um, you know, man for man, it feels like the USA had a stronger roster than Chile. But as you know, what happens between the lines is what counts. And it seems like Chile just wanted it a lot, lot worse, which comes down to a culture issue, which again is an organizational thing. So whether it's a coaching staff revamp change, um, whether you know USA Rugby needs an entire organisational change, 
I think they're going to have to assess that, but quickly, because like you said, November is just around the corner. Mm. They don't have a lot of money in the budget to get players together and get them in camp and prep for this sort of thing. So, you know, you would think probably not a lot of changes just because of that in terms of the playing roster, but they need a, a quick turnaround in the culture to get rid of that uh, sour taste of Chile and then, you know, focus on what will probably be Portugal here in a couple of months. What do you think the issue is? Because from afar, it looks like that US rugby is in a great spot, that Major League Rugby is coming on in leaps and bounds. Uh, it's more visible. You've got more people playing the sport. Um, I would imagine that means there's more money coming into the sport. So so where do you think the issue is? Yeah, there's a couple of things to look at. Um, I, I think long-term, obviously, with the World Cup coming in 2031, a lot of eyes now on the USA. Uh, it, it's got to be a long runway. You look at the the model that the Japanese rugby union put in place you know, over a decade ago and the success they've had recently at the, the last two World Cups with some pretty big scalps. Um, you know, the USA is probably trending a little bit behind where Japan were at the same time, but not that far. Uh, we, we lost a season due to COVID like most you know rugby playing nations did. But as this league was developing, it was probably a bad time for that to happen. Um I really think the rewards get reaped closer to 31. You've got to think about rugby is a niche sport here. It's not present in high schools like it is around the world. So to capture the imagination of a, a you know, 10, 13-year-old child at school and say, you know, this is something I want to do now because there is an avenue, we're not going to see the benefits of that for another you know, five, six years from, from the start of MLR, let alone now. Uh, so you've got to give it time for this to kind of percolate and actually you know, come to the surface and, and have the ability to get that player pool a little bit deeper and a little bit more talented. But um, it, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a tough one, mate, to get to the root of it all. I, there's, there's some people and, and a lot of people kind of saying that perhaps Major League Rugby has created a little ecosystem here where the players probably are buying into their own hype a little bit and not focusing on, you know, the basics and the grind that, you know, win you those test matches and that could be true as well you know this it's america is the sports landscape of hype you know when no one does it better than the usa when it comes to hyping up an event so sometimes it gets a little hard you read your own press but yeah uh, if i had the silver bullet i would have shot it a long time ago yeah i, I mean major league rugby does seem to be going off to, for want of a better term, I don't know if it's maybe quite to that extent, but it seems to be getting stronger and gaining momentum. There are more clubs um, uh, coming along. What is that doing for the depth of US rugby, or is are there just too many imports? What I mean, do you think they've got the balance right? It's 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 a tough one, isn't it? Like I mean, it, again, I don't think there's a right and wrong answer here. It's all about balance. I mean, to have a professional comp is something that we've never had here in a, in a true sense before. So there are more domestic USA-eligible players playing professional rugby in, in a 16, 17-week season now than there's ever been before. Uh, and to expect the light to just, you know, the, to turn on and all of a sudden we can compete with Tier 1 nations is not realistic. Obviously, the Chile result is very disappointing, but it's going to take some time. Uh, some people argue too many imports. It's a retirement home. For, for old players, but I think if you went to the current champions, New York, and said, what was the influence that uh, Nahe Milner-Scudder had while he was there? It was huge. Like, mm. he's 
knowledge and understanding of the game and professionalism, let alone just rugby, like just how to be a professional, how to take care of yourself and carry yourself passed on to, you know, a dozen or more American players. Same with Andy Ellis, like what he's been able to do in New York. All these young kids never had access to that wealth of knowledge before. And it's just going to take some time. But uh, it's the one thing that no one really feels like giving much off when it comes to professional sports. So it sounds what, you, what you're telling me is that you need about another dozen Rick Salitos. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Rick's done an amazing job out in New York. And, you know, again, he, he's brought his knowledge of the, the game at the highest level in New Zealand over here. And, but being respectful of the landscape in the USA and made changes. So it's, it's the way it's got to be. I think you, you look at it from so many different business and playing. Like you, you, you mold your strategies to the cattle that you have. And if you can do that, you're going to be successful. If you just stick to a philosophy that was successful once in your life and try to implement it, it, you know, it may not work because the people just aren't the same. And Rick's done a really good job of adapting to that New York life and taking all that, you know, IP that he's accumulated in New Zealand for the decades and, and made it work there. Yeah. And the context he's got uh, pretty impressive as well. It's got to be said. Um, where do you think, Major League Rugby is at the moment because, like as I said earlier, from here it looks like it's in a pretty healthy place. Yeah, it's, it's you know there's some some dramas towards the back end with LA and Austin being kicked out of the comp, and and you know a lot of people are kind of focusing on that. But uh, another season in the books, a lot of a lot of growing, a lot of learning. Um, as of right now, no new teams coming in for next year, but that could always change. And maybe stability is not a bad thing here for MLR to kind of stabilize at 13, 14 teams and, and sort of grow from that point. Um, expansion is quite expensive. And as you know, everyone's aware that money is not as readily available as it was, say, six, seven years ago mm. for a lot of people. So there, there are some constraints right now. And um, I would say it's healthy. It, it's definitely, it definitely could improve the same as any startup, you know, is looking to improve, but, there's some good people in place and I think it's headed in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I think you can expand too quickly, particularly given the player base, you know, because you dilute the player base, then your players aren't playing at the same level every week, right? If they, if you, if you go too big, too, too soon. Yeah. You look at Dallas came in this year as an expansion side and they didn't win a game and it was really a combination of things. They got very unlucky on the injury bug front, but you know, that's a, that's a test of depth and that's going to happen, like you said, with a good player pool. You're not going to have those issues as glaringly obvious as Dallas did. So yeah, the player pool is always going to be tested. But, but again, it comes back to the, the longer with this runs, the more kids are going to watch, they want to play, the player pool will get deeper and deeper and the quality of player will get better and better. Yeah, and in terms of US rugby itself, I know it's a separate entity to, to Major League Rugby, but what is that relationship like? And do they help each other? In, indirectly, I think they do. Obviously, a good chunk of the, the national team play their rugby in Major League Rugby. So there is that kind of you know, relationship. In terms of business and finance, I, I think it's quite distant. I'm sure they discuss strategy, but in terms of finances, there's no direct you know, funding that comes into MLR from USA Rugby. Uh, or vice versa, I'd say financially, MLR is much healthier now than what USA Rugby is. But um, yeah, yeah, there's a, a working relationship, probably the best way to describe 
them as two separate companies that share a building and, and talk in the elevator in the morning on the way to their office. <laughs> All right. Okay. I get you. I get you, mate. Um, okay. Well, I mean, in terms of um, Portugal, probably Portugal um, in November, how confident are you on a, on a scale of one to 10? Less confident than beating Chile, and we saw how that went down. I, I think Portugal, in terms of the, the size of the country, is going to be easier for them to get together as a, as a national team. Um, the USA is just so you know, sparse and, and wide. It's very difficult, both geographically and financially, to get everyone in the same place for an extended period of time, where Portugal's smaller, they can centralise. You know, they're playing really, really good. If you go look at their results in the last 12 months, I mean, they almost beat Italy, like probably should have beaten Italy, um, who've been pretty dominant against the USA when they've met historically. So hard to say. Dubai, neutral ground, obviously an easier flight from Portugal than it is from the US. But um, it would be it would be a massive shame if they're not involved in 23, having just won the World Cup for 31. Um but it also probably opens up the debate, do we need to expand the World Cup as well with results like Chile? And not just saying that the USA's benefit because they lost, but do we want to open up a, you know, a bigger pool play or a play-in pool at the World Cup potentially? I think that's something to look at as well as these Tier 2 nations get stronger. Yeah. So what are you you're thinking like uh, qualification groups at the World Cup to get to the main group type, type scenario? Yeah, I think that's not a not a terrible option. Or you you play a yeah weak, weaker pools to get into a main pool. Or mm. I don't know. There's there's some, probably some people in Dublin who've got a better idea of that than I do. You never know, mate. You never know. This is world rugby we're talking about. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> good stuff, Dan. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Go well, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. And eh? hopefully, we can we can be talking more positive news for US rugby. Happy to be a distraction for uh, New Zealand rugby fans from the weekend. Condolences. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I tell you, within half an hour of uh, the final whistle of the third test, there was already a petition online to have Ian Foster sacked. So that tells you how we've reacted. Yeah, yeah. Always someone in a worse spot than you. So happy to, to be in that spot for New Zealand right now. <laughs> good stuff, mate. Hey, Dan, really appreciate your time. Go well. Thanks, Legend. Be good. Terrible song. Uh, this one, isn't it? Uh, I think we should ban it, Ben. You should delete it from the button bar. Um, I don't think I ne- ever need to hear the song again in my life. But there you go. Uh, I, I digress. Uh, we just, of course, had Dan Power on uh, from Major League Rugby. Does the Major League Rugby podcast as well, talking about what that means for US rugby. Of course, sounds like that Portuguese team were pretty handy if they've uh, managed to beat the Italians of late as well. Um, or does that just mean the Italians are going further backwards? I don't know. But he didn't seem particularly convinced that the US were going to go par- uh, go over there uh, in that playoff game and beat Portugal. I think that game, for some reason, is in Dubai, um, which seems like the perfect place to hold a rugby game um, with that heat and things. But anyway, that's what they're doing. And yeah, every chance that we don't see the US at the next World Cup in France, and of course they are hosting the one in 2031, so a bit of work to be done from US Rugby's point of view before they get there. Coming up after 9 o'clock, we are going to hit uh, Rumble on the radio, and we're going to be talking lots of fight game with the Fight for Life on on Thursday. Uh, That is 
uh, going to be a fantastic night. Actually, the Fight for Life uh, brought to you by Burger King and the I Am Hope is the charity there as well. Build People, DNL Events, Sky Arena. Uh, present that some fantastic matchups. Uh, Tammy Davis versus Jay Reeve, a couple of uh, radio hosts going at it. Honey, Honey Hitomi a Smiler taking on Tegan Yorath as well. Jerome Pamplone fights Joshy Francis. Uh, that is for a belt. Those guys, that is going to be a great fight too. Uh, professional fighters. Andre Mikhailovich as well up against Francis Waitai. That'll be a great fight. I think Andre Mikhailovich should have his number, but you know he's done some good things in a, in, over in Aussie, and he's reached uh, the top 15 in the world in the middleweight ranks, Andre. So I think uh, this fight against Francis will just about take out anybody he needs to fight down in this part of the world, and then he can go further from there. Carla Spencer taking on Paul Fetuera as well, and Liam Messon against uh, James Gave. Well, Kevin Mialamu and Wairangi Korpu are the headliners. We'll talk about all of that. We'll have some of those fighters on, some of those trainers on in the next hour. Make sure you stay tuned for Rumble on the radio. It's one past ten here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you right through until 11 o'clock tonight. We've got uh, live football action on at the moment. Manchester United and Crystal Palace are playing each other over in Australia. That is uh, a part of this pre-season tour. Leeds uh, and Aston Villa are over there playing games at the moment as well. So we'll keep uh, you up to date with the score in that one as it progresses through the hour. Coming up, we're going to catch up with Dane Cleaver. He, of course, uh, played for the Black Caps against Ireland in a T20 international yesterday. And we'll get his uh, take on how that went for him. And we'll do that shortly. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Ewan McTeer, who's a Scottish football journalist based out of Madrid. And we'll talk uh, some of the transfer action that is going on, uh, there is a rumour doing the rounds that Atletico Madrid are going to try and sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so we'll see what he has to say about that. We'll get the latest on the Frankie de Jong uh, debacle as well. Uh, but, uh, of course, everything has been about the Irish beating the All Blacks in that series. They won it by th- uh, two games to one in that series. First time they'd beaten the All Blacks in New Zealand. First time they'd won a series in New Zealand. And only the first time since 1994 the All Blacks had lost a series at home. Keith Wood, the former Irish hooker, has been talking about that. I was quite emotional watching it. I was emotional watching the uh, the second test as well. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but... The first test in the manner in which we played, which we were inaccurate, I wasn't emotional at all because that's almost what we expect, not that we'd be inaccurate, but that we, would, we wouldn't we would win down there. And um, we were hoping for the one chance to maybe get a win. So then the manner in which uh, Ireland won the second test, I think that is all to dream, but I was afraid to dream too much, you know, because your heart gets broken too often. Uh, but to watch the game and to watch the manner in which um, the team stood up, the, the manner in which they deconstructed the all-black defensive line, uh, the level of composure that was shown, the the attitude and the accuracy for the whole lot. So there was a huge amount of preparation that had gone into it, but there still see, seems to be a sense of freedom in the manner in how they play and a, a high level of enjoyment. And of course, they went to the well and they went as deep as they could possibly go. Um, and I know Andy Farrell mentioned it there, but the manner under which after the All Blacks had uh, had scored three tries, had come back into or two tries, had come back into it, were were gone very close in in the in the scoreline, the manner in which Ireland finished out the game was just so unbelievably impressive. And I know people have said, uh, you know, it's it's important and how important a game it is, but it was 
it's the best concerted performance that I've seen from an Irish rugby team and the best 10 days of rugby that we've seen an Irish team be able to go and deliver. Um, look, I grew up with stories of the Lions of 1971 um, winning, you know, winning that series down there because there was obviously no way a Northern Hemisphere team could go down there and beat New Zealand on their home turf. I go back to 20 years ago touring down there and we didn't even know what questions to ask, no mind of any of the answers. And that's the, the that's what's happened in the last six years that we've had uh, five wins against the All Blacks. We don't have that monkey on our back. We now have a sense of belief that we're able to beat them, uh, not with impunity, but we can go into every game, not as underdogs, but as, as equals or in the last period of time, better than equals. So... I, like, I'm proud because it's a really cool place to be where you can dream the dream and not have your heart broken on a Saturday morning. It's a privilege to play any international match. It's, it's one of those strange things. And um, I would wear that very comfortably as something that that um, it highlights the amount of hard work that has to go into wearing an Ireland jersey. Um, and you want to be able to wear it and win with it. And in our time, we didn't win a huge amount. Mm. And... Um, so when I look at it now and have a sense of pride with it, the sense of pride comes from the fact that we all wanted what they have. There's no bitterness or envy with it. It's just uh, all these things are built on the work of other people and you still require men, uh, 23 men, to go out onto a field on a, on a given Saturday and actually do the work to get the win. We now have a, a team that seems to be comfortable doing that a lot of the time it's it's phenomenal I, I like i we've ups and downs all the time and we've peaks and troughs all the time um for for me i i just like the style that ireland play because i think it's sustainable and now we do need all of our players uh, as fit as we can get them and we need a few more players to come through but the, but the style is something that can change often it isn't set in stone it isn't um, requiring 10 phases to work for it to actually function so it seems natural and it seems as if the players are, have been given the freedom to have a bit of crack on one side but also have uh, make a mistake mm. be, be, be um, try something do something um, you maybe not be castig castigated for it if it doesn't come off and like that sort of freedom is fantastic. And there was a couple of comments about there was no, it wasn't a fear of losing or that New, Ze New Zealand had a fear of losing and Ireland didn't. That is an unbelievable mental shift to have a team um, willing to be vulnerable going for a win. That's an extraordinary step that um, I have to say wasn't there in my day. And it's great to see it present in a green jersey. Um, but I do know how hard it is and I know how hard it is to lose. And it's an awful lot easier to win but the effort that has to go through to win is just of such a high degree. When you looked at the faces of some of the players coming off the field, and like, okay, Peter Romani crying, uh, which I loved to see, and, uh, you know, but that was, a, that was a cry maybe for two different reasons. One, for the emotion, but also for the pure, unadulterated fatigue that he, he felt, as did all the other players in the field. Um, like I know Johnny was 37 during the week, but he aged as that match went on. Sure. He looked about 60 when he came off the field. I mean, he they literally emptied every single bit of the tank. 
So I think when you're watching those games, you're saying, my God, have to be proud of those men. Yeah, great to hear from the legendary Keith Wood, uh, legendary Irish hooker, of course, talking about his reaction. Eddie O'Sullivan, former winger and fly half for the Irish, also had this to say. Well, I think the turning point for Andy Farrell and the team, you know, and I would have been quite critical of up to last autumn where they beat the All Blacks in Dublin. No complaints. Again, it was a magnificent performance. They took that performance into the Six Nations and ironically, their best performance at the Six Nations was in Paris, even though they lost. But that was to the Grand Slam champions. So Ireland have emerged as a team now that are well well capable of putting together really good game plans and executing them under pressure. Um, the defence has improved as well. But the thing to remember about New Zealand, and, and this is a worry in New Zealand, uh, as if they hadn't worries already, but this was even talked about last week in New Zealand in the New Zealand media, is that New Zealand uh, defence is not that good. It coughs up an average of 19 to 20 points a game. And if you go back to the autumn in Dublin, we scored, um, we scored, I think, 19 or 20 points against them. But we, we, we didn't let them score their usual 20 or 30 points that they score. Like So New Zealand often put 19 or 20 points, but they score 30 or 40 points. It's never really an issue. But if you get them into an arm wrestle, and that's the worry in New Zealand, which is a big worry for the World Cup in a semi-final or a quarter-final or a final, if you get them into an arm wrestle and they can't, you know, rack up 25, 30 points against you, it, they're very vulnerable. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks with Ireland. We got into those arm wrestles and we looked a better team. We were much more composed. Our attack looked much better. New Zealand seemed to be looking for individuals to make the difference. Their kicking game was very average. They, they kicked a lot of contestables that really didn't trouble Ireland. The Irish back three were very comfortable with it. And they were quite physical, but we matched them physically. And then they were depending on individuals you know, to, to make them win us. And we saw that can happen. Like, I mean, Will Jordan's try in the second half was a magnificent try from, you know, practically inside his own half. They have that capacity, but if you reduce those opportunities, they look very ordinary. So I think the overall context here is you're right. We have beaten them five of the last eight times. So this is not an accident anymore. And the thing I would say, which is, you'd never think you'd ever say this, is that, you know, we well, we beat New Zealand in the first couple of occasions where you felt, well, if we played them again next week, they'd probably beat us. If we played if we played New Zealand next week, we'd probably beat them again at the moment. You know, yeah. we are right up there and they know it. And at the moment, we're the better team. There's no debating that after those two test wins. So it's a very unusual place for New Zealand to be and it's a very unusual place for Ireland to be. But we are number one in the world today for a very good reason. So there you go, number one in the world for a very good reason, or a better team. That's what the Irish are thinking these days, and you know who can blame them after that performance here in that series. It is 11 past 10 on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we're heading to Ireland to talk cricket with Dane Cleaver. It's a quarter past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight, and joining us on the line uh, out of Ireland is Dane Cleaver, a uh, black cap at last. G'day, Dane, and congratulations. Hi, Ricardo. Thank you very much. Yeah, mate. I mean, it's it's been a uh, it's been a while for you, uh, you know, to, to to finally get the black cap, as it were. I mean, you were over there from what the uh, the third test against England, and you had the three ODIs against the Irish, but you finally got to uh, to don the black jersey and go out there and play in anger. How, how was it for you? Yeah, no, it was a very memorable day. I think, um, as you mentioned, you know, I've been around the group for a few weeks now, and um, you know, feeling really part of the group, but to actually get out there and um, I suppose culmination of all that hard work. It was a pretty special day. 
Yeah, it would have been. I mean, did you? I mean, obviously, you've been with the group for a while. Um, you you know a lot of those guys pretty well. Did anybody have any sort of words for you before you went out there for that for that first game in anger? Oh no, most of the boys were were just sort of backing me and just saying, you know, go well and and I suppose just just enjoy the day and relax because it goes pretty fast and you know you've been waiting for it sort of you know as you're a little kid dreaming of playing for the your country and and it goes pretty fast so just sort of soaking it up and and trying to um be relaxed as possible yeah and how was it for you in terms of uh as a step up um from domestic cricket and what you know i mean how how much different was it you you know we often hear about people in, in different sports talking about the pace of the game or the intensity of the game and things but i mean how much different was it for you from playing for cd from to playing for new zealand against the irish yeah, I mean, I suppose the cricket side of it is pretty familiar. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, a, a bowler and a batter and, and you know, the, the, the gloves and, and I suppose the um, everything that comes with the wicket-keeping job around around leadership and, and, and energy and, and, and the glove work side of it, that's all pretty familiar um, as it is in domestic cricket. So I suppose it's just the, all the extra little things, the pressure, playing for your country and... I suppose just getting used to um, used to that that step up um, from from the outside sort of external factors. Yeah, and I guess something that you know maybe people don't think about a lot when it comes to uh, the job that you have to do is that you know you've got you've almost got to learn a a, a, a whole whole set of different um, tells and things as well, don't you? I mean, like, you know, if you haven't kept a lot to Lockie before, or I mean, who knows what Ish does with a ball? It sort of comes out of it some sort of <laughs> uh, you know some sort of vortex, and it's anybody's guess where it's going to go. I mean, uh, <laughs> how how much work have you got to do on that front, preparing yourself to keep to those guys? Yeah, well, there's a little bit of work involved, but um, also I'm. Um, thankful enough to have played against these guys for for you know almost a decade now so um i suppose playing against them you uh you know if you want to be successful batting wise you know against Lockie and ash and sandy you've got to have a pretty good idea of what they do um because they're you know pretty special players so um i suppose from that point of view i uh, felt relatively prepared having having watched them sort of their careers progress um and so yeah it was just about going out there and um you know doing the basics well yeah, and, and I mean, you, you talk about too the leadership sort of uh, part of the job. I mean, you're geeing up the bowler, right? You're talking to the field. You might have a word to the batsman. Uh, did you have to tune that up at all? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't. Probably that's not so much my role. Uh, I'm. I struggle. I struggle to be uh, mean enough to do that. <laughs> I'm a bit too nice sometimes. Um, but definitely from the bowler's point of view, I mean, I see it. You know. My role, you know, getting to know the guys and their games is just making sure that they know that I'm supporting them and that if I'm offering anything tactically and, and from field positioning, making sure that, you know, the guys are in the right spots for, for the stuff that I'm trying to bowl. Um, so I, 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 I take that a pretty serious part of my job as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how, how you obviously, guys, you know, uh, your bowlers bowl the plans to different batsmen. But I mean, how much uh, scope is there for you to, to, you know, to say from behind the stumps you're seeing something maybe different to what they're seeing, and to have a word to to Lockie or to Ish and go, actually, he's doing this, which maybe wasn't, and you know, we didn't spot when we came up with this plan. Yeah, no, you nailed it. I think you know they're very professional and and they know their strengths. And, and the plans that they're trying to bowl to. Um, 
but you know sometimes you just might on the day you know every wicket's different every ground dimensions and and every batter you know batters are allowed to bring something new too so I think it's just trying to stay nice and flexible and and I suppose them have the trust in me but also you know have the confidence myself to if I do see something to um you know just have a word and and they might choose choose to you know take that or, or or not and that's great but at least you know you're trying to add value and, and I suppose it's just another thing you can add other than your skills with the the bat and the ball to try and you know um, bring as much to the team as you can yeah that, that's fantastic mate I mean that that's got to be the other thing is the conditions I mean you know I've been to Ireland it's it's, it's very green um, how how is it from a from a cricketing point of view and how different is it to maybe what you encounter back here no, well, I, I think that's the thing. You know, in a way, it is very similar to New Zealand. And the grounds that we're playing on, um, you know, they don't seem uh, too much different from domestic cricket. So I suppose there is a bit of familiar, familiarity there. Um, and it's just, I suppose, getting used to, you know, what their bowlers are bringing. And, and I suppose the wickets, um, you know, from what I've seen so far, they've been a little bit... Um, there's been a little bit in the bowl for the bowler with the new ball, Um and then they tend to sort of get better as the game goes on. So, you know, you just have to adjust and and uh, adjust your plans accordingly. Yeah, I mean, do you know uh, if you got have you got the gloves for the rest of the series? Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, but um, you know, obviously hoping so. I mean, we find out game by game, um, and you know, obviously selections out of my hand, but I'll be um, putting my hand up, and uh, if I get the opportunity, that'd be fantastic. Now, I know that you, you've probably got a fair idea of what's been making headlines over in this part of the world for the last few days. Um, how has it been being a Kiwi in Ireland uh, in the last few days? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been interesting. I think, um, obviously, the you know, as New Zealanders, rugby is a huge part of our culture and, and a huge part of... Um, you know, um, us as New Zealanders, so we've definitely been, uh, you know, copping a bit of flack and, uh, you know, a few Irish punters getting around us in that respect. But, I mean, I suppose it's the part of the territory and it's the same with, I suppose, any professional sport. Um, you sort of, at the end of the day, you're judging your results and you got to cop that on the chin a bit. Yeah, the Irish do like a bit of, what they call it, crack over there, don't they? I mean, uh, what, what, what's the best line yeah. you've heard so far that, 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 that you, can, you can say on the radio? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the thing. I, I think um, I think their their main comeback is just um, if we have a win in the cricket, they just say, "What about the rugby?" Which I mean, it's pretty fair. It's pretty straight to the point. But um, <laughs> but no, all credit to them. They obviously, um, you know, they're playing some good rugby, and and, and it means. You know, that's part of professional sport. You can't win them all, right? No, you can't win them all, mate. But, uh, I mean, you're doing a pretty good job at winning them all in Ireland so far. You're four from four. You've got two more. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, and I um, hopefully we can just keep improving those small those small things we're working on, and hopefully, um, yeah, get two more wins. Yeah, I mean, going into the the next game, and I and I know there's you know as you said, you're not the selector, so you don't know. But let's assume that you're going to play the next game. Um, what would you like to do differently from your first game? Uh, well, no, not a whole lot really. I think just getting the first one under the belt. I'd just like to relax a touch more and I suppose just fully commit and back my skills. Um, I think that's probably the hardest thing is just making sure that you just fully commit and are confident and um, I suppose try and as much replicate the attitude you would have in domestic cricket 
into this level because that's you know why you've been successful and and you just got to try and bring that every game. So just be nice and confident and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, get a score on the board. Yeah, indeed. Well, mate, hopefully uh, we see two you know two or three numbers next to your name next time we're talking and uh, after the next game, mate. I wish you all the best and thanks for giving us some time today, mate. And uh, best of luck for game two and three. Hey, thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. No worries at all. Uh, Dane Cleaver there with us. Out of the Black Caps camp in Ireland. Man, that's going to be a tough place to be as a Kiwi athlete right now, as he uh, pointed out. It is 25 past 10 here on SENZ. 14 minutes into the Manchester United Crystal Palace game, uh, which is coming to us, I think, out of Perth at the moment. Still nil all in that one. We'll keep you up to date with the score. Ewan McTeer, a Scotsman living in Madrid at the moment, is going to join us next, and we're going to talk football transfers. Joining us out of Madrid is Ewan McTeer, a Scottish journalist who uh, must be absolutely um, pouring at the moment. I saw Ewan, you could, you could probably tell us whether or not this is true. I saw a, uh, somebody tweeting earlier today saying all the windows are open, all the doors are open. It's 54 degrees wherever they were in Spain. Yeah, hi Ricardo. Yeah, it's pretty pretty warm here. I actually just closed a couple of the windows so, <laughs> so that you don't hear the streets. So, um, I'll be I'll be talking to you with with probably sweating quite a bit because. Uh, yeah, Scottish people were not made for this heat. <laughs> no, no. As, as Billy Connolly uh, famously once said, English people are white, Scottish people are blue. Um, you know, that's, exactly. that's how it goes. That's how it goes, mate. You are in Madrid, of course, uh, and, and you follow uh, La Liga uh, and a lot of European football very closely. And uh, something that I think that has got a lot of football fans very confused, a lot of head scratching. I think you need to be um, Einstein or have the NASA backroom try and figure it out uh, and tell us how Barcelona can sign people. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a head scratcher because this is a club that's you know 1.2 billion euros in debt. This is a club that has a negative uh, salary spending limit with La Liga, uh, the only club that has a negative one. Um, but yet they're able to to sign players, and you know they're the the third or fourth team that's spending the most this summer. Um, the way they're able able to do it is basically they're selling off future assets. They're um, selling off uh, a percentage of future TV rights. Um, they're planning to sell off a percentage of a, a company they own, um, Barca Studios. Um, and by doing this, they can get money now and they'll pay it back uh, over the next um, several years to the investment companies that they're working with. It's a very short-term approach. Maybe it's the right one, maybe it's not. But this is how they're able to spend money now is by selling off some of the future assets. And, I mean, is this just about... Juan Laporta keeping his job. I mean, you know, because mm. of, of the way the, the club works, you know, you can be voted in or out as president. Um, so, I mean, this is a, a bit like selling the family silver, but you're not really uh, bringing in any saleable assets down the line when you're talking about people like Lewandowski, are you? Exactly. It's, it's, it's very short term, and you've just said one of the possible reasons for it is the fact that the president can get voted on every, every three or four years. So... Uh, Joan Laporta has to uh, keep his job. He has to do something now. He's, if he thinks long term, maybe that's better for the club. But that's not better for him. That's not better for the fans just now. So it is uh, quite a short term approach. Um, but at the same time, I think Laporta and the people working at Barcelona also understand that this is quite a delicate moment for the club. They can't afford to have another year where they don't make it to the Champions League last 16. They can't afford to have another year not competing for La Liga. So I think 
by having success now in 2022-23, that actually can set them up for the long term because I do think they need a sort of uh, injection of adrenaline if they are to remain one of the top, top clubs in the world. Barcelona has always been there since, you know, Laporta's last term when he came in, Ronaldinho, they win a Champions League. Barcelona has always been one of the two or three or four best, greatest, most successful clubs in the world. And I think there is an argument that they do need to do something now. They do need to do something a little bit short term just to get back to the top of world football, where right now, if you look at last, well, last season, of course, they didn't even make the last 16 of the Champions League. Now, one of the deals that's dragged on and on and on, it seems, throughout uh, this window is Frankie de Jong to Manchester United. As I understand it, a deal has been done between the clubs. Uh, What's holding it up Mm -hmm. is that de Jong doesn't want to move, not because he doesn't necessarily want to go to United, but because of the way when he deferred his salary, they restructured that. So basically, he was going to get paid what he deferred over the next four seasons, but if he leaves in the current situation as Barca are trying to push it through, they won't end up having to pay him that money because he won't be contracted to them. Is it, have I got that right? No, that's exactly it. Yeah, when um, the coronavirus hit, one of the ways Barcelona were able to defer some payments was extend some contracts um, for a few years and put the, the salaries for, for example, the 2019-20 season, the 2020-21 season, put a large part of those salaries in the later years. But of course, if De Jong doesn't stay until the later years, if he doesn't stay till, for example, 2024, um, then that deferred payment uh, is ripped up. So that's definitely one of the reasons why he doesn't want to leave Barcelona. The other one is that he loves his life in Barcelona. He loves his life in Catalonia, where he lives as well, the city, his girlfriend as well. The two of them are set up there even before he moved there when he was still at Ajax. They were sharing videos of them, learning Spanish together, things like this. And I think it's also a lifestyle thing for De Jong is why he doesn't want to leave because when he went to Barcelona, this was one of the reasons he wanted to go to that city, to uh, a vibrant uh, place that he and his partner could be happy. He likes the club, he likes the Camp Nou, he likes the surroundings. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that he doesn't want to go to Manchester United, but I think he just doesn't want to leave um, the city of Barcelona and certainly not uh, when he's owed so much money. So there's uh, two very good reasons why Frankie De Jong doesn't want to leave and it's very much within his rights to, to tell Barcelona that, that he's got a contract and it's valid and that he's going to stay. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, uh, he effectively, and, and people like Memphis Depay, who I know they also want to move on, and they, they kind of need to move on so that they can register people like Andreas Christensen and Frank Kessie, but they could almost hold the club mm-hmm. to ransom if they decide that, no, hey, we're just not going to go. Yeah, exactly. And Memphis Depay is another one who arrived last year as a free uh, transfer. He let his contract at Lyon run down. Um, I don't think he expected that he would arrive and suddenly be used as a as a pawn to be able to register other players. Um, you know, I think he signed a, a contract of of multiple years in good faith, thinking that he was uh, doing Barcelona a favour by by coming as a free agent so that he could um, be registered last summer when they had problems. So. Um, yeah, it's you know at the end of the day you're not it's not just football manager you're not just moving around um, parts in the business you're working with human beings as well who have set up their lives in Barcelona um, who have their own personal ambitions especially in a World Cup year and if they don't want to move on and um, if the the alternative that you're offering them um, isn't suitable then they have every right to say no. What do you think the resolution is going to be at the end of the day? Do you do you see writing on the wall? Is this going to go one way or another? 
I mean, with De Jong, I, I really struggle to see how, how he does move on if he if he really doesn't want to. Um, they do have enough players that they can sell, that they can move on. And at the end of the day, the deals they've done selling off um, future assets, the, these deals are so huge that at the end of the day, they probably will have money for that to be able to register these players. Uh, the ideal is to move some players on uh, and bring in a little bit in player sales at the same time. Ultimately, they might not be able to do that, and that means they'll have a bloated squad and it'll be more costly than expected. But um, every player I think that they've signed, they could register them before the end of the summer um, as things stand, uh, just with the asset sales. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, let's uh, look at another club in Spain, and that's Atletico Madrid. There has been a rumour that has come out mm. in the last couple of days that they are in for Cristiano Ronaldo, who's desperate to play Champions League, and not just play Champions League, but play at a club that could potentially win the thing. Um, any truth to this rumour? What are you hearing in Madrid? It's true that he's been offered um, through his agent, uh, Jorge Mendes, who is, is really... Uh, close to Atletico Madrid's directors. There's been a lot of his clients at the club over the years. So it's true that um, Cristiano Ronaldo has been offered to Atletico Madrid, which is still an incredible <laughs> statement to even consider. But Atletico, um, at this point, number one, I think they know the fans would rebel, revolt. There would be a mob at the front door uh, if they were to say yes to that. So they are keeping that in mind. And number two, it's a huge financial operation for Atletico and one that I think they just can't assume at this time. They have other priorities, such as right back, other areas of the squad. Um, so I think for Atletico, uh, that's not a priority right now. And they have to keep in mind that the fans would uh, would not take uh, take too well to, to Cristiano Ronaldo becoming an Atletico player. Do you, are you surprised that, um, I mean, because obviously Ronaldo's had to talk to Mendes, his agent, about this and okay uh, you know the, yeah. the offer being made. Given that he apparently said no to going to Manchester City because of his allegiance with Manchester United, well, he has a similar allegiance with Real Madrid. Are you surprised that he's let this go through? Um, a little bit surprised, but at the same time, I don't think the the Manchester City line is is all that true. I think if uh, things had worked out that you could have signed for Manchester City, then I, I do think he would have. I think. Um, it's not that he refused to go to Manchester City because of any allegiance. I think it's what happened last summer was was Manchester United suddenly became uh, a viable and better option. Um, so no, it says it says a lot about maybe uh, what Cristiano Ronaldo's priorities are at this point in his career that um, he would prioritise Champions League over uh, some of the loyalties he's had at his former clubs. Um, which, when you look at it, does make sense because I think he knows he only has two or three years left where he could fight for a Champions League and to stay at Manchester United or to go to a different club that's um, either in Europa League or, like you say, in Champions League but doesn't have a realistic chance of, of winning it, such as uh, Sport in Lisbon, which I think he might return to one day. Um, it tells you that he thinks he can win a Champions League and he knows that he doesn't have time on his side, so he has to um, maybe uh, swallow a, a pill that he wouldn't, he wouldn't have chosen a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, if that Saudi deal that he turned down is to be believed, he turned down 250 million mm. euro for what was it two years. Mm -hmm. uh, that says a lot about what his priorities are. It is about the silverware rather than about the money. Uh, it would seem yeah. so. Who knows what he would do? Um, given um, you know, at, uh, we talked about Barcelona, and uh, we've talked a little bit about Atleti and, and what they're doing. But given all this, these things are going on. Uh, what about the champions of Spain, uh, Real Madrid? How are they looking at this, and how are they reacting to it? What are their plans looking like um, ahead of next season? 
Yeah, I mean, they're sitting with their feet up, business done. Obviously, not getting Kylian Mbappe was a huge disappointment at the start of the summer, but I think there's some smart people in the Real Madrid boardroom that weren't going to go crazy in trying to sign an alternative to Mbappe. It was, we signed Mbappe, someone we've followed for many years, and if he doesn't come, we don't go in and sign a, a B-lister just to um, fill that position. So they adopted quite a smart approach. They got Chiromene, one of the uh, great up-and-coming midfielders, and they got Antonio Rudiger on a, on a free transfer to further strengthen the defence. So they're done. Carlo Ancelotti in the press conference a few days ago was was asked about transfer plans, and he said, no, we're we're finished. We're happy with the squad we have. So I think Real Madrid have, have done their business and can focus on um, pre-season with all the players that they're going to have in their squad already there and with a squad that just won La Liga and the Champions League. So I think they're quite happy with their position. Maybe a little bit surprised and worried about what Barcelona are doing, but I don't think Real Madrid are going to go and sign a, a superstar just to respond to Barcelona signing Robert Lewandowski. There's no need for them to do that. Yeah, it seems that their priority at the moment is is just to free up money. I mean, you would imagine that you know Gareth Bale uh, and uh, Marcello were both on on quite big money, and I know they've moved a few of them on. Uh, they've moved those two on uh, who are out of contract. There's some younger players that they're making available um, as well on the transfer market. Danny Ceballos could be available. Um, so it looks like they are plotting another move. Where do you think they will go, given that they've missed out on Kylian Mbappe? They're probably not going to do it this summer, but you would think they will make a move somewhere next summer. Yeah, this is the thing. Maybe next summer or maybe in two years when um, Erling Haaland, his first um, release clause becomes active. When he signed his contract at at Manchester City, they put in a couple of release clauses that would allow him to go away for a fee um, and Manchester City would be powerless to say no. Um, That's not available next summer. The first summer it would be possible is 2024. So maybe Real Madrid go down that route, um, which would make sense as well because you have two more years of Benzema and maybe then that's when the transition starts. Maybe Benzema has has a difficult season, maybe he has injuries, and maybe they do have to act next summer. But um, the way it's looking, I think Real Madrid can afford to be patient because right now they have um, Karim Benzema, who's probably going to win the Ballon d'Or, and they have Vinicius, who's just getting better with every season. So I think Real Madrid are in a good position where they don't need to... They don't need to rush. So their main problem just now, like you said, is moving on some of the, the fringe players in the squad. But uh, even doing that is not necessarily for financial reasons. It's uh, <laughs> With some of the players, it's because they can only register 25 of them. And right now they have more than that. So they need to move some of them on on, on loan deals, um, which is a good problem to have. So I think Real Madrid are set for uh, trying to run it back more or less because, well, it worked last year. Yeah. What about Eden Hazard? I know he's had his injury problems. Mm. Uh, there has been some talk that he was going to be made available. Do you think he will stay now? I think he is going to stay, and it's going to be really interesting. I think we've we've heard so many times, maybe maybe Hazard can come back, maybe um, he can come good. But one of the things that happened towards the end of last season was he went for a new surgery, and they removed the metal plate that he had in his ankle that was supposed to help um, his ankle recovery, but actually had been bothering him. So they removed that. And by all accounts, he's feeling brand new in that ankle since they removed that plate. So there's reason to believe that he could be a different kind of hazard to the one we've seen since he had that ankle injury in uh, November of uh, 2019. So uh, let's see. Um, He's got a World Cup to to try and uh, become a starter for Belgium again. That's not guaranteed. So um, he's going to be motivated. And the fact that they didn't sign Mbappe means that on the right wing of Real Madrid, 
there's a spot there for a player who can uh, who can prove themselves. Hazard's going to try and be that guy. And Ancelotti's even said Hazard could be an option to back up Benzema at the number nine spot whenever Benzema needs um, needs a rest. Yeah, because oh, I did wonder about him as he's gotten older and he's probably lost a little bit of zip with that ankle injury as well. I mean, traditionally, yeah. he plays off the left. Uh, I mean, is there yeah. an option, you know, we've seen this with older players in the past, uh, that he actually moves more centrally and ends up becoming a 10, maybe in that messy type role? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the problem for him with the left is just that Vinicius had that role last year and did so well with it that I think it would be harsh and unlikely that they would take it away from Vinicius at that point. So now it's Hazard has to fit in somewhere else. Does he go um, to the symmetrical position on the right wing, which doesn't have a guaranteed starter? Maybe Rodrigo, maybe Asensio, maybe Hazard. Or like you say, does he go more central? The problem is in Ancelotti's 4-3-3, there isn't really a number 10 role. Um, but at the same time, maybe Ancelotti will change it up. Ancelotti's never been the kind of manager to uh, be fixated with a certain system. Um, he just goes with, with what seems to work. So, yeah, maybe the tactics change a little bit over the season uh, to fit in some new players, to rest Modric, and, yeah, maybe a, a more uh, deep uh, hazard play, uh, position opens up, like you say, that we've seen some older players move into uh, over time as they as they move past 30. Maybe that kind of opportunity opens up for Hazard and he comes back like uh, like the cliche goes, like a new signing. The uh, La Liga fans, how are they feeling uh, in general about the fact that you've got Robert Lewandowski now at Barcelona? Um, of course, you know, Benzema has been knocking them in for a while at Real Madrid. It almost feels like a little mm-hmm. bit of back to the Messi versus Ronaldo days, the way that this is setting up for this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, I think La Liga is, is delighted with how this, this summer has gone because... Um, it's not quite Messi versus Ronaldo, but it's Benzema versus Lewandowski. They'll both be 34 by the time the, the season gets underway. Lewandowski has his birthday coming up in August. And they'll both be 34-year-old uh, centre-forwards. But, in my opinion, at this moment in time, they're the two best centre-forwards in the world. So that's going to be fascinating to see uh, what they can do for their teams and <laughs> who scores more goals. Uh, Benzema finally won his first uh, top score award in La Liga. Uh, of his career last season. Now he's got competition for that. I think both of them can easily uh, get to 20, 25 goals. And, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see um, these two uh, guys go at it, two players who are looking after their bodies um, so well that they're 34, but they're still playing like they're 30. So um, that's going to be thrilling to see. And, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe Cristiano Ronaldo does join Atletico and, and joins in uh, and makes it a three-way uh, uh, centre-forward uh, battle to watch. But at this point, the two-way Lewandowski versus Benzema, that's already interesting enough. Yeah, it's very interesting. And just before I let you go, Ewan, with Lewandowski leaving mm-hmm. Bayern, what does that mean for Bayern, do you think? I mean, they're probably far enough ahead in, in Germany that it's not going to affect them winning an 11th title in a row, whatever it's going to be. But do you think that takes effectively mm-hmm. takes them out of the running at this stage for the Champions League? I don't think so. I mean, of course, they've, they've brought in uh, Sadio Mane, not a direct replacement for Lewandowski, but um, they have, you know, swapped one quality player for another quality player. Um, they're signing uh, Delict as well to improve the defence, and um, you know, with uh, uh, with Nagelsmann, it's it's a it's a second season for him to um, maybe have the players a little bit more accustomed to how uh, his style of play is. So I think you can never rule out Bayern Munich in in the Champions League. Um, We'll see uh, how the squad comes together. But, yeah, replacing those goals is going to be difficult for sure. But um, they should still win the Bundesliga. And 
a slightly different kind of squad, maybe this kind of change could be uh, this kind of freshening up could actually be good for Bayern. And yeah, you can never rule them out. They'll always be there, quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, they're always going to be a contender. Yeah, indeed they are. All right, you and hey, listen, I really appreciate your time, mate. I'll let you go open your windows um, <laughs> so you can stop sweating. I uh, really appreciate it, though, mate. Uh, go well, and we'll talk to you again soon, eh? No worries, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Uh, you and McTeer there with us, uh, a Scotsman based in Spain. Yeah, I don't know if you missed the top of that, but uh, uh, there was uh, someone in Spain mentioned that I, that was on, came up on my Twitter feed uh, earlier today. It was 54 degrees in Spain. Uh, had all the doors and windows open. That is pretty hot. Uh, you can follow you and McTeer on Twitter. He is emcteer, as in tear as in you know crying. And uh, that is him on Twitter. Uh, does a lot of football PR, podcasts, uh, football TV and journalism as well. Well worth a follow if you enjoy Spanish football particularly. Is 10 away from 11 here on SENZ. This is SENZ Extra Time, 6 away from 11. And uh, it is still 1-0 between Manchester United and Crystal Palace in the preseason friendly over in Australia. That is live on Spark Sport at the moment coming up to half time on that one and uh, coming up on Thursday of course is the fight for life uh, with Burger King and Mike King's I Am Hope uh, charity we'll do some more on that tomorrow night Rod McSwain is going to join us he is uh, the trainer for Wairangi Korpu and uh, he's also a former MMA fighter himself as well so Rod McSwain's going to join us uh, tomorrow night and we are going to be uh, talking uh, more fight for life for you tomorrow night. Also from 9 o'clock tomorrow night, Hoopheads is back. Uh, Justin Nelson, of course, commentator for Sky Sports on the basketball alongside Casey Frank, commentator as well as a former tall black and breaker. Uh, the three of us are going to be talking basketball for an hour with Hoopheads from 9 o'clock tomorrow night as well. So uh, we'll have that and a whole bunch more. Hopefully we can track down Mark Cross as well, who is the... Uh, is a Kiwi living over in Chile. He's a, a decent rugby player in his day. In fact, he, he was the halfback that played inside Glenn Jackson when Glenn Jackson was coming through at Tauranga Sports. He was the head coach of the Chilean national team for four years, the team that have just beaten the US. Hopefully we can have Mark Cross on the show tomorrow night and uh, get a take from a Kiwi living over in Chile about how South American rugby is coming on, particularly Chilean rugby, and what they will offer at the World Cup. All that and more on the way for you here on Extra Time on SENZ. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.